He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad! Oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. It is Ryder Cup week. I am Colby Powell, Taylor Williams, and our resident European Sam Humphreys with us, as always, <laughs> as we prepare for the Ryder Cup coming up later this weekend. Uh, we will get all the takes. We will have all the stats on Sam's Euros and the success that they have had against the powerhouse Americans over the last few years. But we figured, what better place to start Ryder Cup week than with our man, Jim Woodward. Woody, joining us on a Monday. This is such a fun week, Woody. Do you have any memories uh, from your time out playing, you know, watching Ryder Cups? Does anything really stand out to you uh, going back in your past about a special kind of Ryder Cup memory? Well, the, the, the two that jumped to my mind, of course, it's when we win, not they win. Uh, but um, the, the war on the shore, that, that Ryder Cup there in Kiowa, because Kiowa is such a, you know, you guys, we've talked about it before. It's such a brutal golf course that I don't know that anybody won that event. They just barely survived is what it looked like to me. That was a that was a killer place. And then, of course, when Justin Leonard bombed that one, I believe it was in Medina. That one always sticks to my head where, where they did some unbelievable stuff where Crenshaw said that, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta believe. <laughs> yep. I got a feeling, you remember him saying, I got a feeling about this. And then he walked out of the press room. So, you know, those are, those are guys about my age. So that's why I always relate to that. Those are, those are friends of mine that, uh, really did some special things, but that Ryder cup, boy, you never know what you're going to get. Don't you? It's like a box of chocolates. as Forrest Gump always said. Woody, before I ask this question, uh, I heard through the grapevine out on the range at Oak Tree the other day that you and Jim Kane uh, ran through a tournament down at Jimmy Austin. you got to give me the details on that. <laughs> well, it wasn't much of a golf tournament. Um, you know, I, I'm basically retired. I don't. It's hard to get me to play golf hardly anymore since I've become a farmer. Um, but Kane's been a friend of mine forever, and he talked me into it. He said, hey, let's go down and play at Jimmy Austin where, you know, my nephew's the head pro down there. So I thought, oh, okay. And, you know, what really got me guys to go and do this thing, at first off, Kane's a heck of a salesman. But he said, what do you at our age, we get to play the golf course at 5,700 yards. That's just not said, fair, Woody. Jimbo, yeah, I said, Jimbo, I – I love you like a brother, but there is no way they're going to let you and I play together in a team event for 5,700 yards. He goes, I'm telling you, that's what they're going to do. So I said, well, you confirm that, and you send me all the information, and we might play. So this is how much I fought it, guys, okay? I'm not wanting to go, but he sends it back, and he goes, yeah, that's what it is. So I said, oh, heck, well, let's go. It was we had to play 27 holes. Well, shoot, that's a marathon for me these days. And um, it was an alternate shot for nine holes. It was a best ball for nine holes. And it was a, uh, a scramble, actually, for nine holes. Well, long story short, we, we birdied every hole in the scramble. 
we 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 made nine straight birdies in the scramble, which that's hard to do, guys. I'm not kidding you. That's really harder to do than you think. But at 5,700 yards, it helped. And then we we were three or four under in the best ball. And so by the time we got to the alternate shot, you know what we were thinking? What's that? Well, what would you guess you got? We weren't thinking about making more birdies. We were thinking about how bad this going to look if we gag this. <laughs> <laughs> we had like a – we had like a five or six shot lead after 18 holes. And so we literally played the most commercial golf you've ever seen. We just hit it in the fairway, hit it on the green two putt. Hit it in the fairway, hit it on the green two putt. Never tried to make birdie at all, hardly. And uh, we got our little trophies and I've retired again. That's the end of the story. <laughs> You love to hear that. Woody, I, I don't know if there's anyone who's played more rounds on Pete Dye courses than yourself. Uh, and Whistling Straits is obviously a Pete Dye course. What do you expect this week? And, and what is the general uh, consist, consensus just from you uh, of Pete Dye courses? And what, what do we expect to look for this week? You know, because Pete is diabolical, that's what they always call him. He's always got something up his sleeve that he'll make you think – please don't hit it in that location. And then you're worried so much about hitting that location, you hit it in the worst place you could hit it. What he makes you think was it's going to be a safe shot. Guess what? In the safe shot, right? So you see that at Oak Tree all the time. I was always tickled at whistling straights, just like a lot of his golf courses. My first go around at whistling straights was actually in the 2007 U.S. Senior Open. And I had just turned 50, and I was ready to give that a whirl. I thought, well, you know what? I'll go out there and play against those guys. I know what I got. And uh, so what better way to prep for whistling straights than to play oak tree every day? So when I got when I got to whistling straights, guys, to be honest with you, it is, it's, it's nasty looking. I mean, it will scare you to death when you – you look at some of the tee shots and some of the shots into the par threes. I mean, it, it'll look horrible to you, but it wasn't, I can tell you right now, it wasn't any harder than Oak Tree. So I, I think the first round I got delayed with a rain delay. By the time I finished it, it I shoot five under the first round. Um, so um, and immediately I was like, well, heck, I can handle this place. And I didn't shoot any more really low rounds, come to magic. But uh, um, I'm going to. I'm going to say that it's a, a big advantage this week for America. I don't know why I believe that, because it's got a little European look to it. But I really like the team Strickers put together. Um, I like the makeup of that team. I like the way they, they hit the drivers, because I think that's a driver's golf course. If you drive the ball well, you can do all sorts of things to make birdies. So, um I don't know. I look for the Americans to have a, a really good week and, and not win by just one or two. I think they might win by four or five. I really do. Well, maybe you'll be able to talk some sense into Sam here in a little bit because he has been on this European train for about eight months now. But, Woody, it seems like – <laughs> I think they're going to win. What do, you, what do you think? <laughs> you know what? You just heard me, Sammy. I know. I think you're wrong this time. Right. I think you're wrong. I think I think your brain was a little bit lost the last eight months because you're getting ready to get married, <laughs> and I think you were kind of. I think you kind of drifted off and got in love with your bride that you loved so much and married, and for some reason you thought Europe was a place instead of Hawaii you were going to go, but you didn't. But I don't know what you're thinking. This thing will win. 
I was wondering why he had all this confusion and stuff going on, but it all makes sense now, Woody. You put it put it to our eyes. But it seems like from a news and golf channel perspective, it seems like the only thing anyone can talk about is the United States team and all the drama with the, the um, actors, as you call them, Kepka and DeChambeau going at it and all the, all the feuds that are going on there. But, you know, we had um, – uh, I can't remember which Euro- uh, former European captain came out. I think it was Paul McGinley came out and said that Europeans have just as much drama as the American teams do, just people don't talk about it as much. What, what's your thought on all the drama going on in the team room, Woody? Well, and I do I do think the Europeans are just as bad as we are, but nobody talks about it. I think you're spot on, guys. But I will tell you this. Everything about Kepka and DeChambeau, they're going to they're gonna do fine. I, what I get a kick out of is Azinger calling out Kepka this week. And Azinger's dumb like a fox. When he was the captain at the holiday, they, they waylaid the Europeans. So he's kind of, he's a sneaky little son of a gun. He's trying to piss Kepka off. Where we know what happens when you kind of irritate Kepka. He comes out like a house of fire and, and plays really good. So I think what he did, what Stricker did with the makeup of that team, he couldn't stop DeChambeau and their Kepka little feud. He can slow it down and he can make it sound like they're good. But did you notice who he kind of shied away with in his picks? He said he didn't pick Reed because of Reed's, um, you know, injuries and sickness and all that. I don't believe that any further. I can throw my Jeep. I think he didn't <laughs> pick Reed because he, I think Reed is a bad, he's a bad element in that locker room right now. I hate to say it, but I think Kevin Nall kind of irritates. He might irritate the Europeans, but he's also going to irritate some of our American guys. You, you remember when yep. he and Dustin kind of had their little deal. So he's great if he's maybe in Europe, but not in the States and not at Whistling Straits. So the makeup of that golf team that the United States has, don't look for a bunch of drama. I think those guys really, really enjoy each other, and I think they'll be fine, even as even as much as Captain and DeChambeau are going to do their deal. But I'll tell you this, guys. Well, we, we I call we, we're all Americans. I even told Victor Hobble down the driving range. I, those three guys <laughs> Victor, I know you're an OSU guy. I love you. Went to OSU. You're a hell of a player. But when you play that week, I don't like you. I'm, I hope you lose. And he just kind of let it dumbfounded look on his face because he's like, man, I go, yeah, this is war. I mean, no, we've had, you guys have kicked our butts for nine out of the last 11 years. It's time we get a good butt kicking on our side. But the reason why I was bringing that up, we got to get off to a better start, guys. We, we lose, usually we lose the Ryder Cup in the first two days, especially the first day. We don't ever get off to a good start, mm-hmm. whether it's the four ball or the alternate shot that we screw up. We just don't get off to good starts. And if we don't get off to a good start this time, I, I hate to say it, boys, but we might be in the same place again. And I don't know if you agree with that, guys, or not, but it just seems like we are always behind the eight ball right off the bat. Yeah, it's, I was looking at some of the data last week, and it's usually the second session that gets the Americans. The first session's always fine. The second session, the Americans always get hammered like three to one, three and a half to a half. Which is the alternate shot format. Yes, yes, which is the alternate shot format wow. typically. Yeah. But what do you, I, I wonder, what do you think goes into this phenomenon of 
the U.S. continually having better individual players, especially by official world golf ranking. Uh, the average official world golf ranking of the U.S. team this year is at about nine. The average official world golf ranking of the Euros is 31. Now, anytime the Americans have had an average ranking better than 15, they've done it five times. The Americans are one and four in those five Ryder Cups. So why is it that these great? Why, why is it that these great individual players? tee it up in this team event, and all of a sudden, they're losing to N. Poulter. N. Poulter's 17-6 in his Ryder Cup career. He's only lost six matches. He's been playing the Ryder Cups for 40 years, it feels like. So, I, why is that? Yeah. Well, I mean, really, and that's why I kind of like what Stricker did with his makeup this time is, you know, honestly, guys, Tiger Woods probably one of the best, well, it's between him and Nate was the best player to ever played the game, but his Ryder Cup was horrible. Horrible. Um, Phil Mickelson wasn't anything to write home about as far as Ryder Cup goes. Now, they seem to play better in the President's Cup, but I don't know that it's always because the Americans are so selfish that they only care about themselves. Um, that, that's been talked about a lot, and, and that, that, that might have a little bit to do with it. But I think once the Europeans started getting the upper hand in this Ryder Cup, because that never happened when I was younger. I mean, they never seemed to win. But now they get the upper hand. I hate to use the term, but I think our guys get a little get a little shit in their neck. Pardon my French. I mean, they can't breathe as well. So, and I don't understand that because they play at such a high level all the time. And maybe it's because. We're playing for the United States of America, which is a different deal than playing all by yourself and for money. Um, but I think the makeup of this team, I think you're going to see it's young, it's it's aggressive, it's uh, more user-friendly with each other. These guys travel together. They spend a lot of time together. So they're a lot more buddies than what we used to see. So... I think what Stricker did with the makeup, you're going to see that. These guys get along, even though DeChambeau and Kepka, I know, they, they got their little shoes. But when it comes right down to it, I think those guys will bury the hatchet and they'll be ready to play. So I think you got a better time this time, guys, because they're going to get along. They're much more of a, a, a cohesive unit that they like each other. And I think that's what the Europeans always had on them a little bit. They're kind of buddies, and they, they bonded well. So... I might be nuts. I don't know. I'm not a Ryder Cup specialist, but it sure seems like we got a real good chance this time. You know, Woody, my last question for you before we let you go, my friend. Would you rather rep- represent the USA for three days in the Ryder Cup, or would you rather go to the gym and take naps? <laughs> well, you know, I came. I, I was an alternate one time on a Walker Cup team. That was the closest I came. Uh I, and I, I, I had a couple of chances to play for the club pros against the Europeans. But um, to represent your country, I think, has to be the highest honor you could possibly have. Now, in today's day and age, a lot of people don't feel that way. But I'm, I'm still bleeding red, white, blue when, I, when I, I'll, fight, I'll fight anybody for this country. Uh, so, to me... It should be the greatest honor of their lifetime to get to play in one of those deals. And I, I hope that you see that with them. Uh, that was kind of a trick question, I know, what you threw out there, because I don't go to the gym. But um, I think I think what we will always see in the golf industry, and you guys, we've talked about this, 
there, I can promise you one thing. When that flag goes up, there won't be anybody kneeling. I can guarantee you that. And uh, when that flag goes up, you'll see some tears in some of those boys' eyes. And you'll you'll see the fight in them. That they're, I think the Americans are tired of getting their butts whipped. I sure hope they were. I would If I was going to the playground every day and the same bully was beating me up, I'd find a way to cut him off somehow, some way. And so I think the Americans are frustrated and they're ready to go. So I think you're going to see a, a really good fight, but give me the red, white, and the blue. If I ever got a chance to play for the country, I would have. It would have been one of my highest honors. I can promise you that. All right, Woody, I'm holding your feet to the fire. Final score. What's the total points we have to get? I never know on that. Uh, tw- Twenty-eight and a half is the total. So if you're saying four or five, that'd be sixteen and a half to twelve, yep. seventeen to eleven and a half, yep. somewhere in that neighborhood. I really yeah, like I'm, the sound of that. I'm up. I'm going there. Uh, you pick one of those two. I don't care. I'm going to tell you we're going to win by at least four. That's right. what I think we're going to win by this year. That's I think we're on it, and uh, that is. And I think we're finally due to give them one, and I hope like heck it happens. And, Sam, I'm not going to hold it against you because, like I said, I'm going to say that you were busy with your wedding and you just were lost in your brain that you think these juries are that good because they're not. We're going to kick them this time. We're going to get them. All right, we'll see, Woody. I think that the Europeans have some name guys where in the past they might not have had name guys in the bottom half of their lineup, and I think they have a lot of Ryder Cup experience regardless of the analytics. So I guess we'll see. But, Woody, I really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, I always enjoy talking with you, boys. Now, if I'm wrong again, I'll come back on, and I'll admit I was wrong. But if I'm right, I get to close. Right? <laughs> if you're wrong, Woody, you can jump in the boat with me because we'll both be sinking together, I promise you. Yeah, as, as will I. We'll all be sinking. So, great stuff, Woody. Go have a good Monday. All right, you too, boys. See you later. See ya. That's Jim Woodward joining us here on the 73rd hole. We're going to take a break, come back on the other side. We've got a ton more show coming at you today. Ryder Cup preview all week long. We've got a couple of PGA Tour pros sitting here with us. We'll get them in on the other side as well, so you're not going to want to miss that. Stick around. So much more coming up here on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. Welcome back. Rolling along here on the 73rd hole. We always appreciate our man, 
Jim Woodward. Woody legendary here in the state of Oklahoma joining us with his thoughts on the Ryder Cup. He thinks the Americans are going to roll. We will get much, much more into that here in just a few minutes. There was, though, a PGA Tour event this past week. Taylor Gooch, nice finish, closes well on the weekend, gets himself up into the top five, uh, which is a good place to start. Right As of right now, he is projected to make it to Eastlake, uh, which would be phenomenal. One tournament in, and Max Homa now projected to win the $18 million prize next year for the FedEx Cup. But Max Homa on the back nine, Sam, that was electric. The hole out on 12 was legit. Walking in the curler on 17 was legit. And he needed them all after McNeely eagled 18. Homa, uh, who I believe in his first, like, 600 starts, won one time on the tour. He's now won twice in his last 18 starts. So Max Homa has it rolling pretty good. Yeah, really impressive stuff from Homa. Seven under on the day on Sunday, and obviously could have shot eight under, uh, played 18 pretty conservatively. Got to give a big shout-out to our guy Taylor Gooch. I mean, on the tournament, you know, shooting 15 under, four under on the last day. Uh, If you look at his stats here, I mean, uh, on the event, around the green, he gained 1.39 shots around the green, which blew away the field. Uh, So his short game was rolling, and uh, it was pretty interesting to me that Mark Leishman, on the tournament lost over half a shot off the tee uh, and still shot 15 under for the tournament I don't think I've seen that stat all year uh, it seems like pretty much everyone in the top 10 is always uh, strokes gained uh, positive off the tee but yeah for Max Homa I mean that's a huge deal uh, for him obviously three-time winner on tour and this is the first tournament of the new season so uh, Max Homa I mean what else is there to say T-Dub I mean I think that he's kind of gone above the Twitter guy, and now he's just a big-time player on the PGA Tour. Right, that's what he was known as for the longest time, was the guy who you sent your swing video into him, and he critiqued you, or you you might be lucky right. if you had a horrible swing, and you would get viral in, in 30 <laughs> seconds. But now he's going out there, and we look at the stats, guys. I mean, he was .68 around the green, .86 off the tee, gained more than a stroke putting and approach to green for the week. So, I mean, that's just... Total steady play throughout all all aspects of the game. It's not like he just went out there and was lucky on made you know every putt like Cantley did at the BMW Championship. But you scroll down and look at our boy T Gooch. He gained one point three nine around the green this week. So I mean he's got the he had the short game rolling and gained uh, gained strokes in every other aspect as well. So shout out to him as well. But also going back up to Maverick McNeely, we were talking about him just a second ago. I mean he he was able to eagle eighteen to put a little bit of pressure on Max, but he also doubled seventeen, which was not very pretty at all. So he ended up playing the last uh, last three holes at one under with a double. I mean, how often do we see that happen, guys? I mean, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, and talking about Homa, too, I read the AP story where he said that uh, he quit the podcast last week, obviously get a grip with Shane Bacon, which was doing really well, which had to be a big you know pay cut for him to stop doing that podcast. I mean, I'm sure that they were getting big advertising money to do that podcast. Uh, but he said that he was just tired of regurgitating, you know, all the bad stuff that goes along with being a PGA Tour golfer. I mean, you can't play great every week. And if you have to regurgitate it on a podcast every single week, I'm sure that that uh, can be kind of mentally draining. Uh, so props to him for having the guts to say, look, this isn't good for me, and then go out and win the next week. I mean, I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, he did what he felt he needed to do, and he went out and got a win. Uh, It was a nice eagle on 18 to get that second-place finish for Maverick McNeely. Solo second, a lot better than being in that uh, log jam at 16-under. So, it was a good week for the Fortinet. It's just, golf has no off-season. So, I mean, some of these fall events – 
like people are just a little burnt out on golf and then it overlaps with football season. It's, I mean, the Fortinet did not get a lot of viewers this weekend, but I don't think we really expected it to. It's kind of, especially with the Ryder Cup the next week, it's the excitement yeah. level just wasn't totally And the there. end of it was like. during the Chiefs game. I mean, yes. <laughs> it's tough to get viewers against Sunday night football. And as far as the Oklahoma guys, uh, Quake Cummins, three under on the tournament, made the cut. Uh, Bo Van Pelt, Charles Howe, uh, Max McGreevy, Josh Creel, and Taylor Moore uh, were all in the tournament, but they failed to make the cut. But huge to start their PGA Tour careers off, Josh Creel and Max McGreevy there in Napa. And now, speaking of Josh Creel. Speaking of, why don't we go ahead and welcome to the show our guest today. Got Josh Creel, Michael Gellerman joining us. Gentlemen, appreciate you taking some time on a Monday. Thanks for having us. Excited to be here. Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> Sounds like a lot of excitement there, guys. So, I know, obviously, it probably didn't go as you planned, but, Josh, I want to know. I mean, first event with your tour card, you go out to Napa. Was was the feeling different? Was the event different? What, what was different about going to a tour event with your card for the first time? What was that experience like? Yeah, I mean, it was cool. Uh, a little different than most tournament weeks. I got out there Saturday for rookie orientation, and sat in a conference room for about eight hours on Sunday, which was <clears throat> pretty tough for me. I don't like to sit still, but, uh, yeah, it was cool. Uh, not much different. I mean, golf courses are firmer, it seems like, out there, but still golf. So yeah, we got to ask good. about the orientation. What does that entail? What do you guys do? Uh, for eight hours? That's like school. eight hours, yeah. It was brutal, dude. It's terrible. Brutal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like Michael and I talked about this last night. They probably could – send about 90% of that in an email and call yeah. it good, but whatever. We sat there and we got through it and we don't have what, to do it Is it, it like again. social media policies? What, I mean? Everything. Yeah, everything. Pretty much, you know, there's more eyes, more microphones, more cameras, don't be an idiot, <laughs> right. that kind of stuff, so. And now is there like an idiot policy? If you break the idiot policy, you get fined? Is that essentially what they're telling you? They pretty much said, you know, they use Justin Thomas as a good example. Don't, uh... You know, just be aware of what you're saying and, and that uh, even when you think someone's not listening, someone's probably listening. So right. be careful. Yeah, it's a great point. Michael Gellerman joining us as well. Uh, where you been playing out lately? What tournament you got coming up? Um, I don't have much going on this fall, actually. I'm in tailgate season. There you go. Fall tailgate season. Nice. That's uh, my third week in a row this weekend. So, so far, so good. So, Bob, like we were talking the other day when I saw you, it's it's even confusing for PGA Tour players to know the status of different players. Like if I ask Josh, you know, what's Michael's status, you know, on the PGA Tour, you might not even know because it's so confusing. And yeah. so let the listeners know what your status is for this year and kind of like – and, you know, obviously you played on the PGA Tour last year and just kind of give the whole background of that. Yeah, so played the PGA Tour the last couple of years, uh, the COVID year, which was weird. Right. Um. And then the second year was even kind of weird with just tournaments were in weird spots and um, didn't didn't play very well. Really struggled actually. Some some of the worst golf of my career really. But um, learned a lot. I'll be I'll have full status on the Corn Ferry next year. So and that starts up maybe second week of January. Yep. Um, so just have a fall. Do some Mondays on tour and but I have a fall to kind of do a lot of grinding, get better. Right, and but it's great that you have the corn fairy, you know, full status. Absolutely, which yeah, you know, a lot of guys that are in that position, they aren't right. Is that correct, or if how does you, that work? Recently, the last couple of years, they changed it to where if you went on the corn fairy, it used to be that you got a year 
you got the the year that you were already playing, and then you got one year, and that was always the year that guys were usually on tour, right? Because if you win the Corn Fair, you're you're likely to make it to the PGA Tour, right? Um, but they changed it now, so you get two years, right? And so that's because I mean, guys were winning on tour or winning on the Corn Ferry, going to PGA Tour, yeah. struggling yeah. like a lot of guys do, yeah, and then going back to second stage, right? Yeah, it seemed like you were not getting rewarded at all for having been on the tour. You got more status for being 50th on the Corn Ferry than you did for being 130th on, on the PJ Tour is what it seemed like. And it really just is kind of skewed how, how they make that work. But, you know, I want to ask for, for both of you guys, and, and Josh, you probably lead it off with this. You know, obviously, both of y'all come from different places. You came from Kansas, came from Wyoming, you know, going from all across the country, you know, so – what exactly – all right, so, like, for example, whenever you have, like, Tiger, whenever he's talking, he makes, makes his schedule, he plans around the Masters, U.S. Open, the major championships, stuff like that. Whenever you're just kind of getting out there, do you feel like you have to play every week to do it, or are you a little bit more flexible in your schedule to know, like, okay, well, I need to take this time off, I don't need to play seven weeks in a row, that kind of thing. So what does it go into kind of getting your schedule fit whenever you're just kind of getting your feet wet on the turf? Uh, I think you tee it up every chance you get. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know – how many events I'm guaranteed, but I'm going to play every chance that I can. Any event that I'll get in on my number, I will be there playing. So, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think it's a good general rule that if you don't have another year secured, that you play every event you get in. I, I totally agree with that. And just before we get into, like, anything else, Bob and uh, Josh are good friends. How did y'all's friendship kind of come about? <laughs> so, I was driving home one day. And you uh, to the old house that they lived yep. in, and I pull into the neighborhood, and Bob calls me. He's like, "Hey, did you just pull into La Sonata? I was like, "Yeah." He's <laughs> like, "No way, we just moved in here, and it was literally <laughs> a two minute walk from house to house." So started hanging out. Obviously, both of us play out at national, and yeah, started drinking beers and <laughs> grilling. And I think at that time you weren't even at national, right? Were you still driving down to Jimmy? Uh, yes, I was actually. So that would have been yeah. And then later that summer or whatever, I moved to National. Yeah. So but so I, I got a question though. Where did Bob come from? Because <laughs> my understanding is that your name is Michael Gellerman, and yeah. Bob keeps getting thrown around. I got to know where Bob originated. Uh yeah. So it's been a nickname for a while and uh, starting college. Um, if you've seen the show King of the Hill. It's a reference to me looking like Bobby Hill. <laughs> it was a it was a joke that backfired on me pretty good. Um, a teammate that I had in college, um, Eduardo, he uh, he used to caddy for Carlos Ortiz. He I, I I was making fun of him saying that he looked like Bobby Hill's friend, and and Ed is <laughs> Ed is Mexican, and Bobby Hill's friend is Indian, and so I was just like giving him shit and. Uh, <laughs> The screen changed, and he's like, oh, you look like this guy. <laughs> and I, it, I I swear it took two days, and I was Bob forever. For, forever. <laughs> I met you as Bob. Yeah. No, and, and so, boys, like, back to the, the friendship thing. Obviously, you guys met at Oak Tree, met, lived in the same place, but I feel like your backgrounds are similar. I mean, you're from, you know, Western, uh, Western Kansas, and you're from Wyoming. I feel like that's similar as far as, you know, your background, where you grew up. And I feel like both of you guys kind of had to persevere in your golf careers as well. Obviously, Josh Creel 
right here, obviously making the PGA Tour and kind of reaping the benefits of it now. Uh, and Gellerman obviously has played on the PGA Tour, but before that, obviously persevering a lot. Uh, just kind of speak a little bit about that, and I feel like that might be a little bit of y'all's friendship as well. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine there's many guys coming out of Sterling, Kansas, getting to the PGA Tour, and there's damn sure not many coming from Wyoming. Right. So we kind of have that same, uh, you know, small town achieving your dreams type deal that a lot of guys coming out of Florida and California and South Texas don't have. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a connection. I've met Michael's parents. They're very down to earth like mine too. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. One of those things, you just have a chip on your shoulder. You know, we didn't grow up with, you know, both of our parents, we've talked about this, worked hard and we, we they did okay, but yeah, we, I couldn't afford to play AJGA events. I never played one growing wow. up and, um, so it's just one of those things that it's always kind of an uphill battle and no one ever really knows who you are. And still to this day, when I played on tour, no, no one knew who I was. And until you win, no yeah. one will know who you are, you know, and it's right. just, it just is what it is. And that's what we're used to. And that's, that's how we grew up, but it's also kind of what drives us. Yeah, and another thing is both these guys, I just want to know what it feels like to play every single hole from the middle of the fairway because both you guys <laughs> are obviously in the middle of the fairway on every single hole. Just, I mean, I, I just want to hear a little bit more about that mindset of being a gamer because we always hear about it. Neither of y'all are necessarily bombers. I feel like you guys more uh, kind of facilitate your way around a golf course and are able uh, maybe to make up for it in different areas, and I think a lot of that is mindset. Just, I, I would like to hear both of y'all's input on that. Yeah, I don't think either one of us is going to get to a golf course and be like, holy shit, we can overpower this one this week. You know? Right. We're not going to hit it 350. We're going to hit it somewhere close to the fairway, and, and our short game is going to make up for not for lack of distance. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, imagine how short the course would have to be for me and you to go. <laughs> We're going to dominate this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I we we play golf very similar. I mean, I think that – we neither of us hardly ever lose a golf ball. So I think if, if we can avoid losing golf balls and you can avoid three putting mm-hmm. and get one or two up and down, it's going to be, it's going to be tough to not shoot around par. Right. Right. For the most part, you know, gotcha. and you know, I want to also throw out here too, that Bob Gellman's one of the reasons why our name draft started for all of our recent listeners have been listening. Cause we had to <laughs> rate our uh, Bobby's and then so I rated Bobby Todd, who's one of my best friends. And we had Bobby Gellerman was number two, <laughs> Bobby Hill's number three. And then Bobby Jones is number four. That's kind of what started the yep. name draft thing. Yep. So got to make sure that everyone knows exactly how that originated. Uh, so one thing that you, you brought up, Josh, I thought was interesting was, you know, you get out on the tour and you realize, Hey, these courses are firmer than some of the courses we traditionally play. And Michael, you've been on the tour for a little bit so you might be able to get a little bit more in this as well how much does your practice schedule change once you get out on the tour and you see the courses that you'll get to play and you know the type of shots that you may need to hit may for example be off the tee do you need to start fading it more or around the green certain different lies that you'll have what what how does your practice change now not seeing the courses that you've played as opposed to before when you didn't necessarily or you just on the cornferryweb.com that kind of thing yeah, so this last year on the Corn Ferry Tour, we went to golf courses I was familiar with, and, you know, you know where you can hit it and where you shouldn't hit it, whereas last week I was trying to gather as much information Monday, Tuesday as I could as far as where do I need to be here, how much is the ball skipping and stopping with certain clubs, and, you know, Corn Ferry Tour, we play used to be Web.com Tour, and we nicknamed it the Wet.com Tour because every <laughs> weekend and week out, 
golf courses are soft, greens are soft, and it's a, uh, you know, you fire at everything. Whereas this week, there's a couple pins that, you know, you just can't go at. You land a pin high and the thing's off the back of the green and you're short-sided and screwed. So, yeah, I think uh, getting as much information as you can in those first couple days at the golf course is huge. And, yeah, just uh, try not to make too many big numbers. Yeah. Well, and that's why I'm, I'm always fascinated by, like, the caddy player interactions as the golf course changes and firms up. Because Max Homie yesterday, after his round, he was asked about it, and he was like, man, Joe's just such a genius. And Joe's his caddy. He's like, Joe's just such a genius as these conditions firm up because they were talking about the shot on 12. It's a 95-yard wedge shot that he landed 25 feet short of the hole, and it ran up, rode the slope, and went right in the hole. And he talked about he and his caddy talking about, okay, this shot's 95 yards. I need to land it 88 Something like that. So, I mean, obviously you're looking at your number where you want to land the ball, but judging lies, stuff like that, like you said, the Corn Ferry Tour is just fire at everything. you got to shoot 28 under if you want to win. But on the PGA Tour, there are some holes where you're just not going to make birdie unless you roll in a 20-footer. So how is – what was the mindset? Is the mindset different at all, you feel like? Just knowing that, okay, I don't have to make nine birdies in this round today to to shoot a good number and be in this golf tournament. Yeah, yeah. I think that's all relative, though. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I, you know, when you play an easy, a bunch of easy golf holes, you ex- like people that look and go, yeah, but you had to shoot 600 to make the cut. It's like, yeah, but relative par was 68. Right. It doesn't change. For me, it doesn't change. It's like where when you go to Torrey Pines, relative par is harder than par. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you, I mean, so it's just different. It's 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 a lot easier to make a birdie on a hole that's three fifty and the, the green soft than when you're playing a hole that's four seventy and yeah. you hit a five iron over water. Right. So I think par is all relative. Um, I do. I mean, on tour you have to be a lot more disciplined. Um, it's especially hard for rookies, young guys that have to figure out, like Josh was talking about, figure out the course mm-hmm. for the first time because he'll have to show up. And a lot of times after traveling from one week, you'll have to show up and you'll try to get as much golf in as you can, but you can't wear yourself out. You need to practice. So it's a it's a really hard balance your first couple of years, I think, on tour. Those are long weeks for sure. And Creel, I mean, I want to hear your thoughts on that a little bit because you're, you know, known for going pretty low. But how do you – when you're starting out a tournament, what's your mindset when you know that the winning score is going to be way under par but not trying to force it and not trying to – push too hard and kind of be impatient what what's that line there i mean i think that's it exactly is yeah. just not trying to force anything you know you take right. <laughs> excuse me you take what you get um yeah if you if you come to a hole that you got it's hard hole pins tucked you know 20 foot look 30 feet for birdies good look you know i'll take four pars there any day and then you get to some of the easier holes and you're able to attack and you're trying to make birdies there, but right. yeah, I think no matter where you're playing, I think not trying to force your hand is is good. Yeah, no, it, it's really interesting for me to hear you guys talk about that because, um, you know, you, you think about it and it's like it's not much different than an amateur playing golf. What everyone's trying to do, whether you're an amateur or on the PGA Tour, you're trying to minimize mistakes. Um, and and I just find it fascinating that you guys kind of have that same mindset. You're just better at not making mistakes and doing what you're supposed to be doing. Obviously, you know, there's a physical and technical element to it. But, I mean, uh, there's a fine line, be- the line between, 
you know, a good tour player and a great tour player's mistakes, I, I think. And, uh, Bob, you know who hasn't made many mistakes lately is your college coach, uh, Ryan Hibble. And I want to hear some thoughts about Ryan Hibble. Obviously, you spent a lot of time around him, and, and he's kind of grown that program up to be a national powerhouse. And uh, I'd just love to hear you talk about him for a couple minutes. Yeah, shoot. Um, he's amazing, man. He's a good leader. He's a really good man. Um, I think it's really easy for parents to send their kid to him. And I think it's easy for the kids to go there from what's happened the last, you know, whatever. I was there six years ago. So what's happened the last, you know, eight to ten years has been pretty amazing. The turnaround was really fast, and they're incredible. Um, and I met all those guys this last weekend. We we, we did what's called a Sooner Open, and it's, it's just – for the OU golf team, like their big booster tournament. Mm -hmm. And uh, all those guys are awesome. They'll, you know, look you in the eye and respectful. And it, it comes from him, stems from him. Um, And it's just, when you meet him, it's not shocking that his teams are really good. Yeah. Is it, is it a motivation factor? Is it a development factor, recruiting factor? What do you kind of, maybe a combination of all of it, but what, what's playing, for Ryan Hibble like because we hear him talk in the media a lot and, and you know some of us might meet him you know out you know um at dinner or at a tournament or something like that but what's being behind the scenes with Ryan Hibble like well I think he's I think he's really good at developing um kids like like you're kind of asking about but it's more mental mm-hmm. um he's he's really good at making guys tougher and maturing maturing kids yeah. into young men. Right. Um, and I think that really pays off. I think when he gets guys that are, you know, Quaid that's been there for a long time, he's just m- more mature than all pretty much everyone he's playing against. In golf and in life. Yeah. You can just tell I've right. known Quaid since And he's, he's older, little, too. Yeah. But. Right. But still, like, you, you, it's it's a Ryan Hibble factor yeah. for sure. Just totally I've agree. seen him how he manages a golf course or how he manages, you know, life. I've seen him on and off the golf course. And I feel like there's a lot of examples of that. Um, you know, obviously you're good buddies with Abe answer. I think that, you know, Abe answer, you know, kind of got that first little, uh, bump when he was in college playing for Ryan Hibble. And I'd love to hear you talk about Abe for a second too. Yeah. Abe. Uh, so Abe came back actually this weekend too. So that was fun. Um, did y'all burn down Norman this weekend? Uh, we ah oh, we we were we took it pretty easy. We weren't uh, <laughs> we had it we had a good time. Not certainly. too much Fletcher's We, we had a good time. We had we had some Fletcher's well, for sure. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, Abe. You know you you'll see the same thing with Abe. Super mature, really smart. I mean the guy's five foot five and weighs one fifty. Yeah. So and he's what twelfth in the world right now I think. Unbelievable. So my mind tells me that he's probably the smartest golfer in the world. At wow. this point, because he doesn't hit it, he's not hitting it three twenty. So he's beating all these guys, hitting it shorter than them. And I mean, that's and that's kind of what Hibble does. That's a Hibble effect, and that's you know credit to Abe too. I mean, he's always been a really good, and he's always been a really hard worker, and he loves the game of golf. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, Bob, you can probably remember this whenever you were getting recruited. OU was not where they're at now. Whenever Correct. we were coming up, we were we both graduated in uh, 2011, 
whenever Coach Hibble took over the program, they were not a top 150 program in the country. And all of a sudden, they're a top minimum five program every single year. And I thought you brought up a good point there. I mean, what is the number one lesson you could teach an 18-year-old? It's maturity, I think. And so the fact that Hibble's able to get that through to the young players, I think, really is the difference whenever you watch, especially someone like Andrew Goodman go out there as a true freshman just lighting the world on fire. Shot 59 at Belmar a couple weeks ago. Just awesome stuff. And uh, next question I have for both of you guys, because both of y'all share something in common. Both of y'all won on the Corn Ferry Tour, and both of y'all have had really good success, obviously, both PGA Tour players. So what is the difference in both of y'all, one of y'all, who Whoever one, whichever one y'all wants to go ahead and start, go ahead. But what's the difference between those weeks or the week that you are able to win and just the weeks that you play good and the off weeks? Like, what what do you think is the difference between those? Oh, man. I mean, it's a fine line, honestly. You know, uh, even finishing 20th and, and winning, it's a super fine line. Maybe you get a bounce that goes one way when you finish 20th, it goes the other way, or a putt that – kind of catches that right side of that hole that week and it goes down versus one that lips out. You know, it's it's hard to, to pinpoint, but it's, you know, it's not finishing 20th and finishing first. There's not not a big difference, honestly, in yeah. my experience anyway. Yeah, usually a couple putts. Um, just a weird, you know, like maybe a drive you hit down, like you were saying, like the right side of the fairway that bounces into the rough versus stays in the fairway, and all of a sudden you have a short iron instead of, trying to hack it out and making par. I mean, that's a big difference. I mean, that's – you're talking about probably half a shot penalty. Yeah. Um, so just little things like that. Um, and then to kind of touch on the the rough weeks are just usually, you know, any, just like anyone struggles. You know, you'll just not hit it very good or, you know, we'll all hit it out of play or something like that. And those right. weeks, they're just – they're just chucked. I'm, you know, if I'm hitting it out of play, I'm not going to be any good. Yeah, and like when you won at Blue Hills, for instance, in Kansas City on the – corn fairy tour you know did you know that that course fit your game at the start of the week or did you kind of win on a course that didn't fit your game because I played it a lot in college and I wouldn't necessarily think you know but this Bob's just going to dominate this course you know what I mean so like but at the same time now I'm that I'm kind of looking back on and I'm like well if he hits the fairway he's going to have some longer clubs in but hitting the fairway is premium like so my point is you know are there certain courses where you don't think you have a chance or is there is there any course that you feel like you don't have a chance yeah i mean no definitely i don't and i'm sure all three of you guys have heard kids talk about yeah how there's places that he shows up that he knows that he doesn't have a chance and they he's they say well why do you show up and he says well they give me a shit ton of money for 20th you know yeah but right. that's true <laughs> i mean that's true when <clears throat> when a guy like me or josh or kids goes to tory pines we're gonna have trouble yeah it just i mean we can go play well but our winning is probably about 20th. Right. You right. know, that's about as good as it's going to be, really. It's really I mean, interesting to hear because, like, you don't think about it, like, just as an outsider. But, like, you know, I, I think it's fascinating. But then there's some places you go that fit what we do and make guys kind of hit it back to where we hit it. And if me and a bomber are hitting from the same spot, I'm going to take my chances. Yeah, yeah, and we'll get back to that a little later on when we – finish up with Ryder Cup stuff because I'm going to be interested to hear about that and whistling straights and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Josh Krill and Michael Gellerman joining us here on the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Make sure you head over to golfoklahoma.org. Check out everything that they have to offer as we continue to roll through the collegiate golf season here. Oklahoma with the big win at Merido last week. Oklahoma State finishes third up at Olympia Fields. Uh, And by the way, 
on those bad days on the golf course when things just aren't going right, you need to get yourself a clubby. Clubbies are a more drinkable version of the Oklahoma staple, the club special, the official seltzer of slicing limes, not swings. Lemon and lime natural flavoring. It has electrolytes, does not contain artificial flavors. Perfect for a hot day on or off the golf course. We should have let Creel do that live read. Yeah, come on, man. You clubby guy? <laughs> yeah. Oh, d- d- come do the live read. Fire away. Come up, come over here. Fire away. No, come just do it off the cuff. Yeah, just tell it, us how it. great clubby yeah, yeah. is off the top of your head. Go. I mean, if, if you're an Oklahoman <laughs> and, and you're into the seltzer game, you need to go get yourself a, a pack of clubbies because they're as good as it gets. <laughs> you just made our job so much easier. We're just going to clip that every time we have the clubby live read. I mean, you just... It's a club special in a can. Like, I mean, exactly. who, who, who golfs in Oklahoma and doesn't enjoy a club special? Nobody. No one. Nobody. I've never <laughs> met anyone who plays golf who doesn't like club specials. Agreed. By the way, both of y'all, shout out your sponsors. I mean, both of y'all obviously sitting here wearing Turtleson shirts. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, talk a little bit about them. The turtle about logo all, is so good, about all by your the way. sponsors. The turtle logo is so um, good. Yeah, so our, our Turtleson thing, I like to let Creel tell the story about how we're both in Turtleson. Yeah, so a couple years ago... Uh, Michael, his wife, and my wife, and myself, and a couple buddies were up at Oak Tree National across the street uh, for the Christmas party. And we walk in and kind of looking through stuff in there because they have huge deals during that night. And uh, we come up to this clothing company, Turtleson, and I'm like, man, this is some good shit. (laughs) And Gellerman's going to the tour this time, and He's like, yeah, yeah, it's good. And, you know, I like to think, like, dang, I'm going to try and get this stuff. Well, <laughs> he hops on the phone, and the next day he's got to deal with them. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, and they, the guys are awesome. The guys are really awesome. Super uh, easy, down-to-earth guys. Yeah, they've, uh, they've been great. They, yeah, they're from North Carolina, I think. Tennessee. Tennessee. There you go. <laughs> it's all the same. It's all the same. It all blends yeah. together. I know. So, East Coast. So now I want to know, as we can transition to the Ryder Cup a little bit, so y'all are professional golfers, but this week you're kind of just fans like the rest of us. That's what the Ryder Cup does. It just turns everybody into fans. So uh, how much of it will you watch? Is it, I mean, obviously you're a professional golfer. You play with and against these guys. Is it – uh, different watching the Ryder Cup now than it was growing up? Is it same intensity? How do you watch the Ryder Cup as a fan with it just kind of being one of your off weeks? Uh, with my feet up and a cold beer in my hand. <laughs> that, yep. That's how I enjoy when, the Ryder when Cup. When does the Ryder Cup start? Uh, Friday. It's on Friday. So I'll probably watch on Friday, but Saturday and Sunday football comes on. So Oh, oh you're going to watch football instead of the Ryder Are Cup? Are you going to have a two-screen set up, though? Probably not. No, probably oh. not. We, uh, for me, I play golf yeah. all the time. Makes I, sense. That's fair. You know, I don't know. I don't have. Get away I, I mean, from you it know, a bit. as an American, I hope the U.S. wins, but it's not like. Life See, or the death two screen setup is the way to go. You got to get the TV out of the spare room, bring it into the living room, prop it up on a little card table, get the two screen setup. Because football and the Ryder like Cup that. overlapping is super inconvenient. Obviously, you're an OU fan. Who's your NFL team? Well, my dad grew up up in uh, like North Dakota, Minnesota area, so I like the Vikings. But oh, no. it's been a oh. tough. Oh no! It's been a tough scene. I'm so sorry to hear that. Uh, I mean, I'm a Cowboys fan, so yeah. cursed existence. I here asked too. that question with a little smirk on my face because I knew already. He, Sam texted me yesterday and said, "Go Vikings!" As they missed that field goal. To, <laughs> um, it's been t- it's been tough. Yeah, it's been tough. Uh, I'm not a huge Kirk Cousins fan. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, yeah, it's been a tough couple years. You don't like winning seven games and losing every time you're in primetime? That's exactly right. Yep, that'll do it. That'll, <laughs> what about you, Josh? Who fans? are you rooting for? Green Bay, baby. Football season. Go Green Pack, Bay. go. Yep. Oh. Are you a college football fan at all? Uh, no, not really. I yeah. mean, I grew up in Wyoming. University of Wyoming has never been right. <laughs> great. Josh so, Allen? Yeah. Josh Allen. Josh Allen, there yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. What's, they still uh, weren't even great then. So do you all get together to watch Vikings-Packers games? Well, no. <laughs> no. Well, yesterday we got together to watch all games, but it was mostly to delete beers and <laughs> real. And jalapeno poppers. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay, so. Bob's so, the one that told me to ask all that the yeah. last time we had yeah. Creel on. And obviously we had Creel on before he got his tour card. It was after he won on the Corn Ferry Tour. And we asked Creel about, you know, what's your go-to grilling food when you have people over? And Bob told me to ask jalapeno poppers but bob i mean i i know that al is more the cook of the family but like what's your go-to hmm well let's see we have the green egg we like to do mac and cheese for sure we yep. made wings a couple times that were mm-hmm. were strong yeah they were strong did some <laughs> did some ribs a couple weeks ago that were really good yeah i don't know man i, I like every i like i like food <laughs> <laughs> I yep. don't turn much down. Yeah. Since y'all talking about food, y'all have both done a lot of traveling. Which city in this in the country has the best food? Wow. Whoa. Yeah, I guess it depends you on what you're looking for. You can do a top three for. if you want. Chicago has great food. Is it just um, pizza or is it all food? Well, they have great pizza. It's different, obviously. Uh, this this the sauce on top is kind of a different thing. Yeah. Um. Let's see. I like I, I I like seafood a lot, so I like going on the coast. East or West Coast better seafood, mm. or Gulf Coast? Probably West Coast, I think for me. Yeah, what kind probably, of seafood? Probably I, I I'll eat anything. Anything? Anything? Anything as raw as it as it gets. Oh. Yeah. Anything well, except for oysters. I don't like oysters. It feels like there's a weird. <laughs> Like feels like it's alive. like crawling in my mouth. Yeah. So you don't like cooked seafood. You just like raw seafood. <laughs> I like cooked, too. I like it all. Yeah, I like But you it prefer all. raw. We, we can't be talking about food and not ask Josh about And I should have asked this last time. Explain to someone who has no clue what it is what Taco John's is. Taco John's is a classier, less greasy Taco Bell. <laughs> so tell me about it. What do you get? Uh, my go-to is the number six. It's a grilled chicken burrito, potato <laughs> lays, side of nacho cheese, side of their house sauce, and uh, yeah, it's every time I'm in a spot that Taco where, John's. Where is, is there. Taco John's? Like, where is it? So they've got 400 locations, and it's <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah, I mean Kansas, Wyoming, Montana, Dakota. Are you a Taco John spokesperson? You're damn right. I feel like I'm listening to their PR guy right now. There's like 400 locations nationwide. Yep. You can stop off in Bismarck. You can head on down to yeah, Nebraska. Right. You can go to Lincoln. Get yep. some Taco Johns. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's wild. That's they, wild. They don't come south of Kansas, though, right? Uh, not yet, but they, again, spokesperson. They're, they've just signed a deal to, with the company <laughs> to open 50 more with the option after three years to open another 100. How so. do you know so much about Taco Johns? So it, it, like I'm from it. Cheyenne, Wyoming. Okay, and that's where it started. My uh, my good buddy Cameron Ross, his grandfather started it. So Taco John's has been near and dear to my heart, and my dad works for him now. There we go. We need a uh, PGA Tour pro to bring Taco John's to Oklahoma City. Is what we need it, to get a franchise. It's in know? the works. Yep. Right. It's in the works <laughs> to come the fact to Oklahoma. That we're not eating Taco John's right now as we're sitting here is pretty sad. <laughs> uh, I agree. Yeah, it's very sad. I agree. I mean, I, I need to try it now because, I mean, obviously I've never had it. 
Yep. I don't. Uh, oh, I don't yeah, get away from Oklahoma too much. Go get you a grilled bacon breakfast burrito, and it'll change your life. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, I'm in. I'm, all in. I'm in. I can't argue with that at all. Uh, so, okay. I want to get back to Ryder Cup a little bit. Uh, Josh, prediction: Americans are much more talented, according to all the data, all yeah. the rankings. Americans have the better players, and yet every time America has the better players, America loses. So I, I don't know what to make of it. I said last week the Americans were going to win 16 and a half to 12. I guess I'll stick with it, but that was pre-Kepka comments. That's pre-actual week of. Yeah. I always start getting nervous in the days actually leading up. Well, I'm going to ride with the red, white, and blue every single time. <laughs> uh, you know, it hasn't worked out a whole lot as yeah. of recent, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm going with the red, white, and blue. Uh, I hope they can pull it together and uh, be friendly with one another for a couple days and, and get it done, but we'll see. It's a lot of egos. It's a do, lot of egos, man. Do you, expand on that a little bit. Do you guys know any back information? Like, do they legitimately hate each other? Or in your opinion, do, do you think they're just acting? I have no idea. Um, I, I think, don't know either I mean, guy. I think they're doing quite a bit of acting. Um, well, I think it started as acting. Yeah. Now I think they just don't like each other. Yeah. Um. And there's boy, there's two big egos right there with those two guys. So yeah, I don't see either of them going going up and being the bigger guy, and they'll probably just avoid each other all week. Yeah. Would be my guess. Out on tour, Bob. How much of their like how much of that is there? And you know, are guys generally? I I feel like guys would be generally more boys, like or maybe not boys, but like friendly to each other. And but like, is there are there feuds out there on tour that people don't know about? Or um. Maybe a little, but... No, I'm I not mean, asking you to name names. I'm just saying, like, in general. Yeah, maybe a little bit, but... Probably, I mean, not a ton. Yeah. But, I mean, it just it's just like anything. You hang out with guys that you get along with, right? Right. So, Who are your boys out on tour? Um, I mean, that one of my yep. best friends is on right. tour. Yeah. I went ahead and went down, so he's going to... Anyway. You'll be there. Uh, I grew up with Harry Higgs. We're really good friends. We stay together quite a bit. Um... Matt Neesmith and I play a lot of practice rounds together. Bo, Bo Van Pelt and I have started That was uh, a club, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I had about 12 clubbies this weekend. They are they are tasty. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um just a, you know, just a lot of the guys that are pretty similar to me. It's not, you know, it's just who, like it yeah. isn't. Who wins in a 40? You or Harry Higgs? In a 40? <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Me for sure. For he, sure. Oh, no doubt. We got to get although, this. Although, we got to get this going. He's, he's been getting skin. He's been, he's been losing a few pounds, which I'm very proud of him. He's eating salads for a long time. Um, but his coach just recently told him he needs to start eating more cheeseburgers because his swing was better when he was fatter. <laughs> <laughs> the old David Duvall special. Yeah. So good. That, now you talk about Harry Higgs, and then I, I I was kind of wanting to get a little bit more back to Abe as well. Like, tell me just backstory on Abe a little bit, just of y'all's friendship, and tell me a little bit more about him as a person because I feel like we all know the Ricky Fowlers, Victor Hovlands of the world, you know, that are around from Oklahoma. I feel like we don't know as much about Abe's personality. So, like, give me a little background on that. Yeah. So let's see. He. He is two years older than me in school. He he went to uh, Odessa Community College for a year, and then he came into OU, um, and I think he was a part of Hibbs' first uh, class that mm-hmm. he could bring in. Um, 
Uh, and I roll in a couple years later. We played a ton of golf together. Um, it was fun. It was good for me. I could never beat him. Yeah. Still can hardly ever beat him. Right. Um, but I remember one, we played seven days straight, and he he always, he, this is just funny, we played seven days straight, just me and him in the off season one time, in a cart, we'd go zoom around like two and a half hours, and he didn't make a bogey at Jimmy for seven days. Seven wow. days? Seven days. Seven days and in by Utopia. Like, and by I, like the, I'm sure the wind wasn't blowing in that seven-day yeah, stretch you know, either. And yeah. by like the fourth day, I'm like trying to put all this pressure on him every time he has a par putt or anything. <laughs> seven straight days. Never seen anything like it. Did he get tired to watch? <laughs> got frustrating. I don't, think yeah. I, ever, I don't think I beat him one time. I mean, yeah. he went bogey-free every day, so it was pretty hard <laughs> to beat. Bob, so now that we're on the podcast, you can air out everything. I just want you to set the record straight on the golf cart GPS. Yeah, that wasn't that was a learning experience for me, certainly. <laughs> so tell that story um, if you want to. You don't have to. It wasn't good. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was uh let's see, I went back for my state stroke play after my freshman year of college. And like most kids, I got really mad while I played, but <laughs> I can totally relate. Yeah, I mean and it took me entirely too long to figure out that that's not funny and it's not no one likes it. No, right? But right. every every kid goes through it. Yeah. I, I was going through it and <clears throat> I had just played my freshman year at OU and I really had a pretty good year. I played all but one event. Yeah. Played I let I I led us in regionals. Mm-hmm. Played good, you know, whatever. And I go back and I play. It's so funny because after you rage, you go back and you're like, why was I mad? Like, it doesn't matter. The grand <laughs> scheme of things. Like, there's going to be another golf tournament, you know. Yeah. Um, and I'm playing good. I'm, like, in second in my at, state stroke play. Where was it? At, at Sand Creek. Creek. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I hit it in the left shit on 18. And where I'm driving in a cart. My mom's actually with me. Are you in contention? It's like the second round. Oh, it's the one in the last round. <laughs> but I think I was like playing really good that day, and then I guess fizzled out. And yeah. So then I hit it in the shit on eighteen, and I was like super mad. Yeah. Because I was gonna shoot like five or six under in my eyes, walking down, you know, twelve or thirteen, and then after I hit it in the shit, I'm like, well, now you're gonna shoot like one under. So sweet. <laughs> so I just, I it was a really hot day, and uh, obviously I. Well, uh, there's a GPS in the cart, like up up in the top, you know, <laughs> and I just give her a nice flat-fisted punch. <laughs> it, it, you know, so I still didn't think I hit it that hard, but obviously I'm stronger than I think. <laughs> Did it go through? No, no, but it, it shattered it. Um, <laughs> shattered it pretty good, and I and <laughs> and I grew up playing there pretty much since that place opened. Like I had the second ever hole in one there, so no like way. we played it since it opened. Yeah, and I went into the guy that. Ran the place, and I don't think he does anymore. He, yeah, I don't know, but and I was like, I'm an idiot. Here's my credit card number. I go to the KGA. You're gonna DQ me. Like, just go ahead and DQ me. Like, yeah. And so you know, so that was it. There was, was there was a well, lot of legend about that story yeah, that I guess isn't necessarily well, the, true. The thing that was weird was the guy from the KGA had emailed Hibble before I had even made it home. Basically, to like undercut me yeah. before I could tell Hibble. Right. So Hib calls me, and I'm like, "Yeah, I did that." And he, and he knew, like, he watched me all year. He's like, "I." He knew I needed to figure it out. So that right. was kind of a huge learning experience for me. Um, I didn't appreciate the uh, the undercut from the KGA. That wasn't very cool. They suspended me for a year, 
from the from the from the KGA, which was fine. I mean, I was like, I'll own up to it. Like yeah. I did it. Right. I pay for it. Yeah. And I don't even think the guy made me pay for it because like I had grown up there, and he was like, so shocked that I did that. <laughs> um, I mean, that's but, that's that's a great story. That, do you have any was, stories well, like well, that, Josh? Well, hold on, real quick. I heard legends of it, like. Bob's fist was like stuck in the like GPS <laughs> and like his fist went like completely through it and yeah. like all this stuff. It was just everyone's done it. Everyone's gotten pissed on yeah. the golf course. Yeah. It so. was it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Um Yeah. That's all there needs to be Luck, said. Luckily I didn't just like bail or something, but <laughs> um, and it was probably good that my mom was there for that for that moment because yeah. you never know what a 18 year old kid who's right. mad that just made a bad mistake <laughs> but yeah it, it you know it all worked out for the better it was, uh, rather it's probably the most embarrassing golf story in my career and so it was just one of those things that you just kind of change from because yeah. you're like really that's me i'm yeah. that embarrassing and right. we still play with guys to this day that do all sorts of shit like that yeah and you watch them and you're like you're really a grown man acting like that. Like, yeah, that's so embarrassing. Yeah. So it's it's a it good learning good, experience. Good if there's me. any good players out there, you know, even not good players out there, like it's yeah, a good learning not. experience. You know, even PGA Tour players go from go through it, but they learn from it. But yeah, you, you guys don't have to name any names. But what is the worst temper tantrum you've seen from another player, either on the tour, many tours, college golf? What's your best story on that? <laughs> I'll <aspect>? name names. <laughs> Curtis Thompson. No, was, that's the first person that came to mind. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I don't he know knows it too. Yeah, he, I, does. I, I, he owns I'm it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try to send this to him. <laughs> that we're talking about him. He's. I mean, he's. He'll bring out. He'll. He'll do all sorts of stuff. But some of the funnier stuff is he'll. He'll miss a putt and he'll say, "Even Lexi would have made that one." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and just stuff like that where he's like actually really funny. Yeah. But you're just like. I don't know. <laughs> he just rages. He, yeah, he just rages. I I play with him in Wichita on, on Saturday. This last year and uh hit his first tee ball on the left rough on a par four that's like just a par hole you know it's just a hole you hit it on the green and get a look he's like you know effing this and effing yeah. that yeah. effing football field out there and I'm like, no it's not it's actually kind of a hard fairway yeah. Yeah. Uh, you got any stories josh i do but i don't think i can share this one on air so <laughs> okay. when, when we get done right. I'll, I'll share better, it better with safe you. than sorry yeah. if you're not sure if you can share it then you probably should yeah. just as a rule of thumb so. i do want to tell y'all though so when we get done i'll, I'll share <laughs> okay fair enough any any stories from you on the golf course when you were younger or anything something that would be Air appropriate. Maybe not getting mad. Just like what? Tell us some junior golf stories. I mean, we all have crazy junior golf stories, but or some, some crazy anything. finish. Well, I actually over quarantine. Uh, you know, we're home when on during months when we're on the road all the time, and we're showing up the golf course playing with the same guys every single day. Intentions were running a little high, and I ended up throwing a rangefinder into the lake on eight oh, at yeah. national. Uh, yeah, threw a driver cool. into a tree, snapped it on twelve tee box. Your your own rangefinder? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Did you get a wrong yardage or? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was the closest thing to me, so I, I threw it. I don't think so. He and it wasn't even. It was I don't know. We were playing some hammer game, and you guys just hammered back. You and I think you were playing Ogle. I think you guys have just hammered each other back just out of pure pride. <laughs> and Ogle buries this long putt. And you didn't even like lose. It wasn't even that much money, but 
for whatever reason, when we told you how much you lost, you just got really mad. Man, yeah. <laughs> and he was shooting the yardage, and he just like didn't know what to do, and he just threw his rangefinder in the water. And yeah. I'm like, well, why? Why that? Why'd you do that? It was one of those moments where you're like, damn, you are you're a grown man acting like a yeah. child. Oh, that is so great. You th- so you threw your rangefinder in the water and broke your driver shaft in the same four hole stretch? No, it would have been. I, I mean, so. within a couple days of each other. Though. <laughs> How far was the throw of the rangefinder into the water? Did was it at least fifty yards, or was, yeah. did you kind of let go of it? Did it get thirty <laughs> yards? So did it slip out of your hand. Did I you just actually, nail it almost to five green. There's they have these cement <laughs> deals that hold the seed and whatever to fill divots, and I was gonna throw it at it, and it kind of at the last second I was like, well, shit, <laughs> and held on a little longer, and it just was straight into the water. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. Oh that's brilliant. Gosh. I throw golf balls into the water, but I think that's as far. I don't think I've ever thrown anything more than a golf ball in the water. Yeah. Haven't gone full Rory. Rory threw, what was it, a five iron in the lake? Years ago, years ago, Rory with the windup threw something in the lake. Josh, one thing, back to some more serious stuff that I wanted to ask you. When we had Hayden Wood on after he won on the APT, he gave a lot of credit to you uh, for calling him before that final round. Um, Just talk a little bit about that. And and obviously, through that story, it's important to you uh, to see guys around you succeed as well. And I think that's very commendable and just tell me that story and and just kind of tell me your uh thought process when you called hayden wood yeah i mean it was just you know hayden's one of the oak tree boys and yep saw that he was leading and i'd won that tournament before at colbert hills and i was like call him up i was like hey man just keep keep doing what you're doing and go get this thing done and he was very appreciative and yeah that's so cool because you know doing something that small might not have seemed like a lot to you, but to him, it meant the world to him. And I kind of wanted to use that to transition into your APT tournament, or APT career. And, you know, last time you were on, we didn't have you on long enough to really talk about it. But I mean, we see what Sam Stevens is doing nowadays, dominating the APT, but people don't realize before that, that there was Josh Creel, who was the first Sam Stevens to kind of dominate the APT tour. Um, and and kind of talk about that, how that, helped you develop your game and and i mean it, for those that don't know i mean it the apt is still great great competition and to win out there as much as you did was really tough yeah i mean I, i've talked about it before it's you know it doesn't matter if you're playing the corn Ferry tour uh the hooters tour apt tour canada china latin america i mean you got to go shoot nothing week in and week out so yeah I, I went out there i cut my teeth there uh yeah and it definitely prepared me for the corn fairy tour i mean 20 something under wins pretty much week in and week out so yeah it was good it was cool to uh to go play and have success there and you know build that belief in my game and here we are yeah no doubt no doubt so boys i know we have teased the rider cup a little bit i just want to hear you know, y'all's thoughts, you know, you play golf on a Pete Dye course. I asked Woody this earlier. Um, what are some things we can look for? At, I don't know if y'all have even played whistling straights, but just generally on a Pete Dye course, what are some things that we can look for course-wise this week at, at whistling straights? My guess is it's going to be hard. <laughs> it's going to be hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be hard. Yeah. yeah. I haven't hard. played out there, but the Pete Dye golf courses I have played are hard. Pete, right. Pete Dye loves 200 
10 yard par threes with water. That's his favorite. On <laughs> he doesn't want to design a par three other than that. Yeah. Besides 17 at Sawgrass. That's it. Um, that it, and it always runs along the green, so it's like you mm-hmm. can't ever, even if you pull it, it's not it's not covering it either. It's it just has to be a good shot, yeah. right? And then on the other side of the water, on the other side of the green, it's just gonna slope straight down to the water. So it's yeah. like, um, now it, it should be really good. Um, in my opinion, I wish we would play on when we played the Ryder Cup on our home home turf. I wish we would play. Like whistling straights is going to be a little bit linksy, I think. Yeah. Which is, I don't, I don't think that favors us because we don't play very much links golf. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like it it just, is still, I, I, I see what you're saying, but it is still target golf. You know what I mean? I totally like, agree it, with that. It is. It looks links, but it is target golf. So I, I do think that there. So it, if it were me and I were Steve Stricker, whoever committee on the U.S. Ryder Cup team sets up the course, I would, you know. Make sure to make it, you know, more target golf, even if, you know, even on the holes that are maybe more linksy out there. Yeah. I don't know. If it were y'all two, um, you know, how would you set up the course to favor the U.S. team? I, if it were me, if it were me picking courses, setting it up, I would make, we'd play a bunch of really long golf courses mm-hmm. with firm greens, and I'd take full advantage of Brooks. DJ. DJ. Finau. For sure. All of yeah, them. Yeah. That's all I do. Because, and they're, the Europe's better putters than we are, and that's why we get beaten right Cup all the time. Right. Because we have, you know, we'll have guys that miss five-footers, and I'll have Ian Poulter who makes everything. And he always makes everything. He does it on the PGA Tour, too. He just doesn't – it just doesn't – first of all, it probably doesn't mean quite as much to him when he's playing, but the courses just don't set up, you know, when they're long and stuff like that. He he doesn't hit it quite good enough at times to right. compete with, you know, DJ. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No doubt, and I, I completely agree. I think that, in all honesty, I think you need to make the greens, honestly, as fast as you can because even if the wind gets up a little bit, um, you'll be able to – the Americans have a little bit better on faster greens because European greens are traditionally slower, and yep. so I think they'll have a little bit of advantage there. One thing I want to ask you guys, steering just a little bit off the Ryder Cup, we'll get back on it in just a second, but I got both of y'all's records pulled up here on an analytics site called Data Golf that we use all the time. How much do you guys look at analytics and stuff like that to try to get your game better? Do you just look at the score at the end of the day and say, I need to be better at this, I need to make more putts? Or do you – like, for example, if you get done, you say, oh, I had a really bad putting week, you look at the numbers say, oh, I actually gain strokes putting this week, you know? So does any of that stuff ever happen, or do you just kind of play by feel, numbers? kind of? How, how do y'all go about that? Uh, I mean, the whole strokes gain stuff is new for me. They didn't have that on the Corner Ferry Tour. Right. Uh, but, no, not really. I mean, I, I can tell you without looking at, at numbers that last week I hit it like shit off the tee box and hit it like shit into the green. So, yeah. I mean, I'm sure the num- numbers would say the same thing, but, no, I mean, yeah, it's – my game is hitting fairways, hitting greens, and having as many looks as I can, and I didn't, didn't do that last week. So, now, now, do you think that this new generation that's growing up, and y'all talked earlier, y'all are both from smaller towns and smaller states, these guys that grow up in California and Florida and Scottsdale, these younger guys, and they grow up with a track man on every shot and strokes gained, and they know exactly what's happening with all the analytics and all the data, whereas, I mean, you just kind of talked about it there, you're just a little more feel. You yeah. know, you know if you hit it bad off the tee. You know if you chipped bad that week or putted bad that week. Do you think all the technology influx is going to end up being good for these younger generations, or do you think they're going to drive themselves crazy trying to get the exact right angle of attack and worrying too much about that and less about how many strokes it actually takes to get the ball in the hole? Yeah, I could definitely see that. Uh, I've got buddies actually who 
who look solely at TrackMan numbers instead of what the golf ball is doing. And they're like, well, that was perfect. And I'm like, I mean, I guess so, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Went in so, the right trees. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's good and bad. If there's something – I don't work with anyone. Um, really? So, yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. No yep. lessons. Have uh, you ever had a coach before? I did. took junior golf in yeah. Wyoming, but that was it. Gotcha. Do you work with anyone, Bob? Yeah, I do. You I do? work with Josh Gregory. Okay, gotcha. And he's down in Texas, yeah, he's right? He's in Dallas. He, yep. he teaches at Merido. Yep, gotcha. Yeah. Where are you on last week? That is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, By the way, shout out to junior golf in Wyoming, apparently. Yeah, shout out <laughs> junior golf. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Bob has actually your strokes gained pulled up from last week in Napa. Give it to us. <laughs> give us Give us the breakdown. Uh, he lost uh, .7 off the tee. It's not miserable. I mean, as guys that hit it, yeah, but as guys that hit it pretty short, you're never going to be like strokes gained off the tee. You're never going to be like plus two. So there, there, that goes into what I was talking about. Like the, it says I didn't hit it that bad off the tee, but I hit it like shit off the tee. I, I, what it say, fifty three percent of my fairways. Yeah, but that was t twenty nine. Because the fairways are small. It was bad. Last week was a bad driving week for me. So what, what are the other stats? Where where did we excel? Uh, he he struggled. Approach to green. <laughs> Told you minus <laughs> minus three and a half. Oof. Minus three Ooh. and a half. That's not normal. No. Uh, he struggled around the green too, but you made everything. Putted well. What was stroke gain putting? Uh, plus four point two. Oh is, my god! Four point two zero. Yeah, that was nice. that was fifth. shout out Scotty Cameron. That was fifth yeah. in the field. <laughs> so so. Speaking about, you know, strokes gained off the tee and all that stuff, we've asked a lot of guests, especially when it was a big talking point early in the season. Obviously, we have guys like Bryson DeChambeau who are in the long drive and they're Ryder Cuppers, you know. Obviously, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff uh, that has gone on to change the game in recent years as far as distance goes. Where do you all stand on the distance debate? Should anything be done? Should it be equipment? Or do you think that if they – dial back the equipment like uh, Jack Nicholas and many of, you know, the older generation thinks they should do. Um, do you think it would actually hurt shorter hitters and, and just kind of expand on that? I am a big believer that the ball does not have enough spin. Okay. Um, so I guess you you could call that dialing it back or whatever, but the ball, go it flies too straight. Mm-hmm. You'll see – with with good players, you'll see you'll see guys that hit balls that will start drawing, and it's almost like it'll autocorrect and it'll fade back. Mm-hmm. And we we all know that hanging out with good players, and I don't think that's a good thing. I just I think the ball goes too straight. Mm-hmm. Um, now sometimes around the I, but it, you have to have the right setup because sometimes around the greens with the ball, obviously with the ball that doesn't have enough spin. It's hard to chip, and that's why you see a lot more guys with the chipping yips or whatever mm-hmm. these days than you ever would have. Because when the ball's soft, you just compress it, and it'll spin off your face. Right. But with the ball being as firm and having less spin than it does now, you actually have to clip it perfectly. Right. What kind of ball do you all um, use? I use a Strixon. Um, I don't remember what it's called. Z-Star <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> I use the 2019 Pro V1X. Why the 2019? Uh, it, it's got this, so the 21X is their most spinning golf ball, Mm -hmm. which is great around the greens, like he was saying. Yeah. And the 19X is, has similar properties, but it spins a little less off the tee for me. 
Well, right. So the so the Pro V one right now, if someone went to Golf Galaxy and bought a box of Pro V ones and Pro V one X's, the Pro V ones would spend less. Is yes. that what you're saying? I think so. Yes. Yeah, I think that's gotcha. right. That's true. Has a softer core, the Pro V one. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. That's softer and it spends less. Gotcha. We're learning right now. Here we are. All right, guys. I'm going to put you on the spot. Y'all have played with a lot of good players. We got four major stat categories to go off of off the tee, approach the green, around the green, and putting like we got to. So you got to pick one player for each stat. Who's the best driver you've ever played with? Best iron player, best chipper, and best putter? Hit us with it. Boy. We'll go. We'll, we'll just start off with driving. Yeah. Best driver you've ever played with. I know it might. You might have to think about it for a sec, but maybe not. Well, I played with John Rom, so I'm trying to figure out where to put him in the four. <laughs> All four? <laughs> He's just good yeah. at everything, then. Yeah. You can double up. Uh, I'm going to go with Callum Terran off the tee. Callum Terran. I'm yeah. not uh, yeah. familiar with that name. It's uh, he, You will be. Yeah. He's a... Uh, He's a bomber, but he hits it straight. It's pretty impressive. Char- so that's why Charlie's I asked really because you hear names too. that you don't know much yeah. about. And you know, he's like similar to that. Charlie Saxon's very, yeah. very lethal off the tee. Oh, he's right. a baller. He bombs it. Bombs it. Yeah. And is not scared to pull driver and hit it through tight shoots. Yeah. Best iron player you've ever played with, other than yourself. <laughs> um, man. Uh, Abe's pretty darn good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Just iron player. Uh, I think Gellerman's fucking good. I really do too. That's why I said that. <laughs> Other than yourself, because Gellerman, you know, he has that he has that swing where he just compresses it and hits Man. that you know nice trajectory. Like whenever you look at iron players, I always look at their trajectory mm-hmm. and the balls that start off you know mid trajectory and stay there. Yeah. They, they don't get up and it looks like kind of poofing it up there. Those iron players are unbelievable. Um, obviously, you mentioned Abe. I thought you know you might put Abe as short game too. We always see his short game is pretty short. Legal his short game is pretty good. Yeah. What yeah. other guys short game wise? Other than I mean, obviously we hear the fills. What are some other names of some just guys with you know great hands? Uh, Scotty Scheffler. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Scotty Scheffler's amazing. Yeah. Billy Kennerly too. Billy okay. Kennerly. Gotcha. gotcha. Super impressive around the greens. Um, Shoot, I don't know. Yeah. You guys have played a lot with Victor Hovland and Matt Wolf. I mean, tell me a little bit about their games, Vic, too. I, Victor would be in the driving category. For Victor's sure. one of the best yep. drivers of golf ball. That's a good – that's a good – He Victor hits it really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, hits it really good. He His chipping's getting better, and he's a good potter. Yeah. I would throw Zalatoris in the irons, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Zalatoris. That's a good point. If you can Absolutely. get through a season hitting 86% of your greens, you're doing something right. He's probably yeah. – He's probably the best ball. He was probably the best ball striker last year, of in terms of. I mean, some guys might hit it further than him, but just being as and he's uh, always been like that. The first ever college event I played in, uh, actually played with them at Duke, and he won, and he blew away the field. And anyone who's ever played, I can't remember the name of the course at Duke, but it, it's you know tight hard Bermuda greens and he was just hitting those irons to 10 feet on every hole that's how that's back when he was in college and now it seems like it's he just continued that on and then putter, putters guys I mean, y'all didn't throw Zalatorsen on the putting <laughs> <laughs> not quite I like Willie Z but I think he, I, I think too. he would know we were lying <laughs> yeah. uh, best putter well Kevin Nall's pretty good I haven't played with him yet what do you think about Kevin Na? I like Kevin Na. Yeah. I think he's fine. I don't think him and I, I hear would a lot like, of mixed things about him. I don't think him and I would like 
be the best of friends, but I think we get along just yeah. fine. Do y'all think there's a difference between a good putter and a good clutch putter? Or yeah. are they both one yeah. the same? Yeah. yeah. You know who's one of the best clutch putters that I know is Max McGreevy. Yeah. That I, guy makes more putts. That guy made more putts to take money out of my pocket. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> From like 40 feet, too. And, of course, I'd miss a 12-footer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he's a great putter. Yeah. Yeah. Josh is a really good clutch putter. Yeah. Really, really good. Yeah. That, that week Absolutely. you won a couple months ago on the Corn Ferry Tour. Do you just feel like you were putting into the ocean that week? Uh, No. What, what, what won it for you that week? Honestly, it was one of those weeks where everything was good. I didn't do anything great, but everything was pretty damn good. Uh, I've definitely had better putting weeks. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I didn't lose any golf balls. I wasn't hitting it out of the trees all week. So, yeah. You probably didn't ever three putt. Or if you did, it was probably once. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I had I had two three putts. For a 72-hole event. Yeah. yeah. It's not bad. Probably not bad. Didn't, yeah. probably didn't miss inside of five feet, maybe once or something. I mean – just those those weeks that work out really right. good are really clean. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Not like it, it's not like he hit it at the flag on every single shot. It's just same a, thing with you when you won, Bob. Yeah, kind same, of thing. same thing. Same thing. I didn't put. I didn't even put all that good that week. I just kept getting it up and down for yeah. sure. And you just hang in long enough. And I hit it really good on the weekend. And there was zero stress when I won. Yeah, like in terms of. I didn't have to work for things very hard. I either made a birdie or a par and went to the next hole. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I'm curious about always with PGA Tour players, especially guys that are just getting out there, is their caddies. I mean, they spend all the time with their caddies. Are, are you sticking with the same caddy that you had on the Corn Ferry, Josh? And, you know, or do you, yeah. he, or did you even have a main caddy on the Corn Ferry? I yeah, know some I've, guys don't. I've had the same guy for two and a half years. He's a older guy. I don't have to worry about him missing tea times. Yeah. Get What's his shit name? Face. Tim at, C- at CD's. Okay. Uh, Carried multiple Solheim Cups, spent a couple years on the PGA Tour, and, mm-hmm. yeah, he's he's good. We're solid. What, what do you look for in a caddy when you're kind of uh, out there? Do you like a guy that, you know, is more analytical, or you got like a guy that might, you know, ease you down a little bit when you're getting anxious out there? No, I mean, just uh, just give me numbers. Yeah. That's that's what I need, and Tim doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low. You know, I see, I've see i seen caddies, their player hits a bad shot, and they're like, oh, my God. God, how do you do that? And I'm like, what are you, you doing? Can't, you yeah. can't be doing that. Yeah. And yeah, I don't need a. There's caddies out there too who are like, oh yeah, so good, great job. You know, I don't need that shit either. <laughs> <laughs> so, I agree. I told yeah. I had a caddy recently. I was like, it's like, do not be a cheerleader for me. Yes. Don't tell me to be confident when I'm walking in the ball. Don't yeah. tell me to have a, you know, s- smooth swing. Like I don't, I don't need to hear any of that shit. Uh-uh. Yeah. Agree. So, what do you look for, Bob? Yeah, pretty. We're well. We're, we're pretty similar. Yeah. I mean, we we get along pretty good. So, um, do you, just, do you just have a someone, main caddy? Well, I had a. I, I always try to hire guys that I can keep around, but mm-hmm. uh, I let my caddy go kind of the beginning of this this year, mm-hmm. and then I kind of looked around for a little bit, and then yeah. I had a guy caddied the last six months that actually is good friends with Josh too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's his um, name? His name's Chad Gonzalez. Okay. Gotcha. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like a cheerleader, but it's, but your caddy, good caddies don't get too high or too low. I think you can go through and watch great players who have great caddies, and you can watch Stevie Williams or whatever, and he'll mm-hmm. Tiger will make a big putt, and you might get a little excited or whatever, but he's still all business. Yeah, yeah, you still got to get Tiger through the next hole, you know, no doubt. And if you get your cat, if you're 
when your caddy's getting too high and you know things moving too fast, that's when people make mistakes. And it's mm-hmm. like the, it's already hard enough for the player, right? With things getting fast and trying to win and whatnot. And then if you got your caddy doing it too, <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying, yeah. No, and speaking about caddies, I mean, obviously we're good buddies with Nick Heinen, who's caddying out there for Matt Wolf. Uh, and I wanted to kind of just transition back to Oak Tree just a little bit because people around Oklahoma City and Tulsa always hear the legends of, you know, all these pro golfers are out there at Oak Tree and they're playing, you know, money games. Or what does your practice schedule look like as compared to going to play? Uh, and, and just kind of talk a little bit about that, number one. And number two, just tell me about some of the guys out there and some of the, some of the things you see them do behind the scenes when the camera's not on them as far as practice or even playing and who would you not want to be in a money game with out at Oak Tree? Who would you? And just kind of talk about all the guys out there, the good players out there. I think a lot of people would want to hear that. Uh, I mean, I get out there decently early and like to get my, my stuff done before it gets too busy out there. Yeah. Uh, as far as other guys, I don't know, man. I don't pay attention to, to what other guys are doing too much. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, usually, especially during the season, because our weeks off just aren't, they're just usually a week. Yeah. So you're usually not in full grind mode when you come home because you're trying to rest and you're trying to, but we have such a fun group um, of guys that we just play a lot of money games, really. I mean, yeah, in, yeah, in the, seriously. And, and during the going season. Going to your point about the rest, Josh, I mean, I feel like you've been playing every week this year. I mean, yeah. going – Obviously, you were going to take the week off in Nebraska, went to Nebraska, and then ended up getting the card after in the finals and everything. And then I, I texted you the other day, and I was like, I was like, you know, when when, uh, when are you coming home? And he's like, dude, I got to go straight back out there. I have no off season yeah, right yeah. now. So, but yeah. anyway, but Bob, talk about some of the guys out there. What you see? Do you, um, yeah, money I mean, game, obviously, any money game stories, anything. Obviously, we have a ton of guys. It's it's fun um, from. Us two to uh, Wolf to Victor is there on occasion, and Bo Shoe's there, and uh, Jonathan Brightwell just became a member, and Quade, yeah. and I mean, so you're talking about a Ekro, lot of a yeah. lot of Ekro. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a lot of high high level golf. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just fun to you know shoot the shit and go play some golf, and yeah. I mean, it's a pretty laid back place. Yeah, um, you don't see. I mean, really, for the most part. Not no one's grinding like way too hard. Mm-hmm. No. Um, but people practice in the morning and, and whoever wants to and then we usually play in the afternoon. And Any money game stories off the top of y'all's heads? <laughs> <laughs> All I see is smiles. <laughs> I wasn't home. Josh just got beat up pretty good the other day. Yeah, I did. It was the most money I've ever lost on the golf course. Uh, but yeah, it's fun. I mean, because we even have you know Jackson Ogle and Cam Cam yep. Myers play with us a lot, and those guys don't. Those guys work now. Yeah, um, but they love. But they love. Gamble. They love the game. The last three holes yeah, at Oak right. National. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, so we just have a bunch of guys that love to love to have some fun and to yep. gamble. And our group that we play in is is pretty relaxed. We always, you know, there's usually some some beer being drank and. Yep. 
and a lot of gambling being had. So <laughs> nothing wrong with kinda, that. You know, one of the things that me and Sam as former players joke about is, oh, when we see the weather looks really nice outside, we like jump up for joy that we don't have to go golf. And so, <laughs> you know, for you guys, whenever y'all are back home for a week or off for a couple of weeks, one of the most unpredictable things in the world is Oklahoma weather. So how does that influence y'all's schedule? If it's at 30 mile an hour per, or the wind's blowing 30 miles an hour, do you go out and practice the same as you would if there's no wind? Um, how does that influence or if it's cold, that kind of thing, or if it's 115 degrees? I mean, just the unpredictable of the weather, how does that influence your practice? If it's blowing 30, I'm not practicing, I'm playing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I just think it's if it's blowing that hard, there's it's hard to get much accomplished. Yeah. Do you, you think know? it's – and I've heard some pros like Jason definitely brought this up, where if you play in wind too often, it can create bad swing habits. For example, yeah. you get steep on it, I back ball position. Do you think that that's something – I've realized and I know that's something that can happen around here because I said kind of like what Sam was saying about Michaels, you have to trap a lot of iron shots and you have to try to flight it. Yeah. And if you're not a crisp ball striker and able to – penetrate with your solid shots and all you're just going to be placing everything off your back foot and trying to stab it right you know, so do you, do you guys catch yourselves in any habits like that saying oh well like for example if you're out here at oak tree with some tight bermuda lies and you go out on a, a pj tour course that's a little bit fluffier are you having to change your technique very much or do you change wedge grinds that kind of thing um the good well you're right about the wind you're, you're definitely right on about the wind when the wind blows you'll get very you'll get stacked the ball get back uh, things like that. And I, that, that happens to everybody. Um, that's just, that's why we try to do so many different, you know, when we go out to practice, you'll see guys go through their checklist of the things that they have to do every single day. And you'll see, I don't care who you are, great players, they all pretty much do the same things every day. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's kind of how you get back to your, your setup and, and, and whatnot. But, you know, we're all human and we all get off for a little bit get a little bit of periods of time but for us with the with the chipping i personally i think that the tight bermuda is the hardest to chip off of of any really of any grass um so if you go to somewhere fluffier it's easier mm-hmm. but you'll you will definitely see guys change grinds and change wedges i was just talking about to abe about this um uh, we played together on friday and he uh he played east lake he played the tour championship and he put in a wedge that had more. He doesn't use very much bounce. He has unreal hands. So for for most people, they need more bounce. Right. Yeah. I need more bounce than Abe does. That's for yeah. sure. Um, but when he went to East Lake, it's a bunch of massive greenside bunkers, and you're not really chipping off all that much like tight. And so he put more. Ba- he had more bounce on his wedge, but he still had it in his bag, and he was he was chipping at Jimmy, and he just hate he hated it. And I'm like, well. Yeah, that's too much. I loved it. Yeah. But so that that was just kind of the, the things that you have to do. He put more bounce on his wedge at Eastlake. Yeah, it's great stuff about how, you know, different clubs, different courses, different stuff, different conditions. And, yeah, we do. With, between the wind and the tight Bermuda lies, we get some conditions here in Oklahoma that I think can pretty much prepare you to play anywhere in the country. Um, speaking of playing anywhere at any time, am I to understand that Bob is a Fortniter? Um. I used to play used Fortnite. To you know, back when it was cool. <laughs> back when it was cool. I, It was funny. I don't know what happened, but it was during an off season, and it was it was, it was actually Ty Bayless was first got me started. Really? And he's like, this game's so cool, man. And I'm like, this is so stupid. And then I kind of got hooked. And I got hooked enough that I ended up buying my own Xbox. <laughs> yeah, when I went through cancer, Bob would play – me and Bob would play Fortnite for hours. Yeah. And, and I – but like – 
I, I couldn't do anything. Like, Bob would just, like, be playing Fortnite all day. <laughs> well, that makes me sound like a loser. <laughs> but, no. So, I have a but, question. Was, was your best golf played when you were playing Fortnite or outside so of your Fortnite? It's era? funny. My buddies, a lot of my buddies. So, now we're on Call of Duty. Now we're on Call of Duty. We've moved on. We've got we've matured. Thanks, Hib. Um, but... So a lot of my buddies, uh, like Matt Mabry yeah. and uh, a couple of my buddies are like, when I travel for long periods of time, they're always like, you need to take your Xbox. You play better golf when you play Xbox. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had it, I when I played a year up in Canada and I had my Xbox up there and I played pretty good at, pretty much every week. So Talk a little bit about that up in Canada. Obviously, that a lot of people hear about, you know, going up to Canada. Now it's the form tour, you know, it's in America, but you got to finish on the top five yeah all year and I the mean, form that's not tour is just to for do. this year yeah right right yeah they just did that because canada with the with covid the borders and you can been, talk a little bit about this too josh i mean latin america is the same thing you know pretty much well right? you you went up you never played latin or you, you went to canada i played one latin america event but i okay, did spend okay. two summers in canada yeah. okay oh, okay gotcha yeah. so we uh josh went up there before me um but uh, when I went up there, I went up with uh, Ian Davis, who played at Oklahoma State. Right. We, and funny enough, we drove up there. <laughs> this How was that? Is, this what, what part of Canada did you drive to? We we drove to the West Coast. We drove to Vancouver from here. I've been to Vancouver. I did not drive. My uh, wife, or my father-in-law, had an extra car that my wife drove, like maybe in high school or <laughs> early college, and it was just sitting in his house. And we were look, we were looking for a car to buy, and he's like, "No, just take this one." So. And my dad grew up, or my dad worked with cars like his whole life. So my dad got it all tuned up, and we, we, uh, we head up, and so we start we start in Sterling where I grew up, and this is funny. Uh, we're we're probably an hour out of Sterling, and we're on the highway, and we see this deer, and it's it's daylight. We see this deer, and we're like, huh, and it just kind of keeps getting closer. Like you see it way out there though, and it's like getting closer and getting closer, and. Finally, we're like starting to slow down, and then all of a sudden, it just veers right at us, like it was trying to hit us. And so I hit the brakes, and it jumps over the hood, and we're like, what? we look at each other, and we're like, "This is a thirty, you know, thirty-hour drive. This is a tough start." But uh, now it all into the bears up in Canada. Yeah, so it all worked out. We went, we stopped in Denver, and we drove to I can't remember where. We spent a day in Yellowstone on that drive. Um, I mean, you just. We drove through a bunch of places that I'll never do again. You drive all through Montana. We drove through Idaho, some of the prettiest country, in you know, right in the U.S. And uh, it was cool. We drove, so we were on the West Coast. We took it on a uh, big old boat across the the whatever it was the water to Victoria. You you probably went there. Yep, same thing. Yeah, which is unreal, pretty. Um, and we ended up, I can't remember, we drove it for a while, but finally we were like, screw this thing. <laughs> the next time we went back, we flew. <laughs> so how are summers in Canada? Because summer in Canada, I would imagine, is pretty sweet. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Well, it's, it's like awesome. 70 degrees every yeah. day, no wind. Yeah, it's weird, though. So my first event was in Alberta, in Calgary. And it's fucking like 11 p.m. <laughs> and it's still light outside. I'm like, what is going on? I don't I, understand this and that's like in the for people that don't know that's like uh like what kind of the middle of the u.s like equivalent it's like right over calgary's like right over north dakota essentially right a little further west montana west. Yeah. yeah i really don't know it's calgary sits calgary sits about an hour east of the rockies it's basically okay. the denver of canada okay yeah. it sits like an hour east go. of the rockies it's mostly agricultural 
but then you go even weird. you go even further over there and it stays light like all day long like yeah. you went to nova scotia and it was light for like all hours but four hours of the day right yeah which That's is wild. crazy too yeah what are the golf courses like up there most of the courses we played were just short and tight for the yep. most part. Pure, though. Pure yeah, greens. Pure. I mean. What kind of grass do they have up just, there? It's just bent. all northern. Bent. It's all bent? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Pure bent? Pure. pure. Yeah, I the look on your face, you're like, oh, bent. That's what yeah. I grew up on, so yeah. I love it's it. It's just yeah. too easy to grow up yep. there, you know? Bent's mm-hmm. a cold, cold weather grass. And right. It, and, and I remember, if I remember right, you had a great season up there, and but you ran into – one of the greatest seasons on any tour of all time, which was Tyler McCumber, right? Yeah, yeah, played really good. I, I finished solo second to him twice up there, and both times I think I beat third by like three or more. That's crazy. I just remember every week it was you and Tyler McCumber up there, and it's not like you guys were playing against no names. Like these were guys that were yeah. like big names coming out of college, going up to Canada to get their PGA Tour card, and it was you and Tyler McCumber every single week. But I I found that fascinating too, but. And, you know, guys, you know, obviously y'all aren't – whenever y'all are out on the week, I'm assuming y'all aren't going to the course at 6 a.m. and y'all aren't leaving at 9 p.m. every day. So when you guys are out on the week does, and y'all aren't out practicing, are there shows that you watch? You Netflix binge? You watch movies? Do you try to go explore the city? What, what do y'all do when you're at a, at a tournament and not practicing or playing? When you're at a tournament. Yeah. Yes, yeah. When you're at a tournament. Um, like even Monday through Wednesday leading up to it. Yeah. You, I, for me, I just pretty much take it easy. I'm pretty – I'm pretty homebody too, so I'm not like out wanting to go out to dinner all that much. Yeah, like I'll go out maybe once, um, but for the most part, I'm pretty easy. Like I'll grab a Chipotle one day, or you know, I'm. But you're pretty much resting. It depends where you're at too. You know, like <clears throat> when you play in Napa, you I, I went to some wineries and stuff like that. But it's like if you're in, I don't know, the middle of nowhere. I get the John Deere. I don't do. You know, I don't do. Anything. We were talking about Napa last week. I had mentioned that it's one of the few tournaments that pretty much every guy brings his wife to. Yeah. You know, like it, talk a little bit about that. Like life on the road. You're not with your wife or your kids or whatever. You know, it's it's kind of tough. But I mean, shit, some you, guys are. But yeah, I mean, your shit. My wife's got to make some money, so she's at home <laughs> working. <laughs> but your your deal's been weird because you came home. Yeah. Talk about so that. after I I get. Alex, my wife, was supposed to come to Indiana with us. Uh, finds out one of her coworkers had COVID. She gets tested. She's got it. So she wasn't able to celebrate with myself and my family. And then after Indiana, we have a week off before Napa. So I go to Mississippi for a couple days, uh, hang out with my buddy Chad Ramey and his family. And then I have to come back to get a new driver's license because I can't get the courtesy car without it. Oh, right. And uh, super weird because you know I'm here in Edmond, but I can't I can't go home. Yeah, like, this is terrible. I haven't been home in six weeks, and I, I'm in the town I live in, and I can't go home. So it was uh, yeah, it was a weird deal. But she's feeling good now. It was That's nice great. to sleep in my bed on Saturday for the first <laughs> time in seven weeks. So yeah. That's crazy. I didn't even realize that that was going on. Yeah. Um, Josh, talk a little bit about we were talking to Bob about Ryan Hibble. I, and we asked you this a little bit last time, but kind of expand on it. You know, coming from Wyoming, you know, how did, you know, you choose to go to UCO and then talk a little bit more about the whole UCO experience because I it's I think a lot of people will relate to it, to your story, because, you know, you didn't go to the big school. You went to UCO 
and developed your game there. Uh, but kind of start in Wyoming, and why did you even go to UCO? Yeah, so I was recruited by the University of Colorado in mm-hmm. Boulder. Uh, I grew up in a town of 50,000 people. I go to campus, and there's 34,000 people on campus. And I'm like, what in the hell? Yeah. Uh, wasn't a good fit for me, so I started looking at other schools, and golf's unique. You don't get drafted to go play professional. You just go do it. So I didn't give a shit if it was Division One, Division Two, NAIA, whatever. I just wanted to go somewhere I could play year-round. Came down, uh, met Dax Johnson, who was the head coach at the time at UCO. Yep. Went to Kicking Bird, found out they had a lighted driving range till 11 p.m., and I was like, <laughs> holy shit, this is awesome. <laughs> Uh, UCO was more my speed, smaller campus, a little yep. more tight knit. Um, and I mean, Dax is great. Uh, yeah. He had to have been awesome to play for. Yeah, but. he was, he was great. Uh, some unfortunate shit happened yep. and, uh, was very lucky to have Pat Bates come in and take yep. over who had been there and had some tour experience. So I was able to pick his brain about some stuff and yeah, ended up working out for me, but yeah, man, I've, uh, fell in love with the city of Edmond and yep. Can't imagine living anywhere else now. Right, absolutely. And Bob, what kind of culture shock was it from you? Obviously, you grew up in kind of a small town in <laughs> yeah. Kansas. What was it like coming to the big city of Norman with where football reigns king? Uh, yeah, so you were saying that 50, you felt like 50 was small, Josh, and uh, I grew up in a town of like 2,500 people. Yeah. How many did you people. graduate with? Probably around 40. <laughs> 40. I knew pretty much every year of my high school – Every year I was in high school, I probably knew everyone except for maybe, like, one person that moved in or right. whatever the case was. So, yeah, so I go <laughs> I go to OU, right, and my first class oh, I go wait, to, wait, wait, Did you even have a golf team at we, Struman? Well, so they made a golf team right before I went to high school. Because I was going to have to go to um, – I was going to go to Hutchinson High, where Prairie Dunes is. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which would have been 25 minutes from me or something. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, but I didn't want to do that. I had all my friends at Sterling, and yeah. I played basketball through high school, which was nice. I wouldn't yeah. have been able to do that there. They were 6A, you know. <laughs> um, can you shoot it? Uh, I can I can shoot pretty good. Well, I could. <laughs> I don't know if I uh, – I still can, I'm sure. Yeah. Point guard uh, or shooting guard or small forward? I played, or I played shooting guard. I played shooting guard. I um, I played point for a while, and then we one of my one of my best friends was ran the point. He was, he, had, he was a better ball handler than I was, and I shot better than he did, so. Yeah. So you go to OU. So I go to OU, yeah, and um, obviously major culture shock. Um, and my first class I go to is a micro econ class, and it's in a massive lecture hall. And I think there was like, I don't know, 700, 800 kids in it. <laughs> it's like half the town. And I'm like <laughs> like looking around, and all these people are like not paying attention and stuff. And I'm like, this is awesome. Because <laughs> I'm used to going to classes yeah. where like you can't move without someone, like the teacher noticing, right? Yeah. So, like, I've never even looked at my phone before in class or anything. Yeah. And I go there, and I'm like, this is awesome, man. I'm chilling. <laughs> we had we had class checkers the very first year I went there. So, it was like I had still had to go to all the classes. But then as soon as you realize that, like, after, you know, you get good enough grades or for whatever for a year that I got rid of class checkers, I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's funny. So, uh, me and Charlie Sachs are in this class. Um and the kid in our dorm was actually a Rhodes Scholar, so he's really, really bright. And we're all just, like, shooting the shit, messing around, and and we get our first test, and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> like, I don't know how to answer any of the questions they put in front of me, like any of them. And 
I think the highest between us. And this kid's a gen- this kid is smart and he's on a full ride to go to OU. He's from Alabama. And um he he makes like a a fifty eight on his first test. He did the worst of us three. I think I made like a sixty six and Charlie made like a sixty two or something. Doesn't really matter. Um but this kid, if he gets a C he loses a scholarship. Yeah. Like he and he doesn't his parents don't have very much money. And so all of a sudden we're like Okay, we're gonna have to try try like we're gonna have to pay attention a little bit more or something. Yeah. And funny enough, this kid ends up I make like a seat in a class. Like it I, I it's over my head the entire time. Yeah. And I couldn't I didn't know how to pay attention. But this kid ends up making a one hundred on the final, which was <laughs> half your grade. And he makes an A. He gets like a ninety point something and makes an A. <laughs> and he tutored the class the next year. <laughs> And he made, he made a 58 on the first And time. we're the same age, and he tutored me in a class like a couple years later. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. That is hilarious. What about a good uh, football story, Bob? What, what's your favorite memory from attending any OU games? Or tailgating, even? Well, I have a lot of like funny drinking stories that wouldn't probably be all that appropriate. Um, <laughs> Austin Fuller was pretty funny. You know him. Oh, absolutely. You guys all know him. <laughs> we we had some good times. We, we, had, a really, we had a really good team. We were um, – it was – Awesome. We all got along really good, and so we just spent a lot of time together. Um, specific football stories. I don't know. We always went to OU Texas. That's always a blast. I don't know if, it, if there's anything specific, but you stay yeah. up till about four a.m. on Friday night. We always got we always got Friday off. That was our fall break day. So we'd go down. Let's see. We'd go down Thursday. You'd stay up till about four a.m. Friday night, and you'd somehow wake up for that game at like seven a.m. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I have any specific so, football. So, it, I mean, that, we had some pretty cool games when I was in school. We played Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. I was which, at that game. Yeah, that was not fun. the night that yeah. James Harden James got Harden, traded. Yeah, I got traded yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. We, but we had Florida State somewhere in there too. That might have been right at the end. Yeah. That's right. No, he mentioned drinking stories, and it just jogged my memory of last podcast that we had Creel on. I mentioned the BB gun at, at, the, at, oh, the, yeah. Uh, yeah. at the Christmas party. Uh, we've heard Josh's side. What's your side? So you you brought it, right? You brought the gift? Yeah, we always do. It, it, it we do a dirty Santa. Santa. So yeah. Allie and I, my wife, uh, she she loves hosting. Sam knows, Sam knows that. Oh, yeah. She loves hosting, and um, so we hosted, we've hosted, we started a Christmas party, like, I don't know, eight, eight years ago, maybe. And we've kind of become the host and now it's like kind of Allie's thing. Like she loves it and she loves having a theme and, but we always do a, uh, what do you call it? A dirty Santa, a dirty or Santa. Yeah. And, and people bring gifts from, you know, from a lot of people, there's ends up being like Smirnoff ices in there where people get iced from their gifts or there ends up being... <laughs> You know, there's some inappropriate things, but Josh brought a um, <laughs> red rider BB, BB gun, which was a great gift. <laughs> and I get it, and I'm pumped. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like shooting in the backyard out at all the beer cans <laughs> on the fence. And at that time, we lived in this tiny neighborhood with all these rental houses. I'm sure they didn't appreciate that, but um, so he's holding it. He's holding it up. And he's like, I don't know what you're doing inside. And he's like pointing it at someone. And we've all had, you know, and we've been overserved. And uh, and I'm like, and I had already been shooting it. I think so. I think this is why. So I was like, you better that thing. You better not shoot someone with that in my house. (laughs) Like from point blank, at least. Like at least move back. And he goes, he goes. It's not loaded. 
and he just points at the ceiling and shoots, and the BB just gets stuck in the ceiling. And we all just go and stare straight up, and the BB, I couldn't get it out. The BB was stuck in there in my rental house. I, we lost our, we lost all of our uh, our money on that house. Yeah, Mabes throwing darts. Yeah, Mabes was throwing darts across the wall. Yeah. So the BB is still in the ceiling to this yeah. day. I, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. I haven't been back, but I imagine. <laughs> How far into the ceiling was the BB? It was plenty far, probably two thirds. <laughs> how do you even try to get that out without tearing the whole wall down? Well, you don't have lasers, or I, mean, I think I went up there and I was just trying to. Yeah, I don't know what I was trying to do. I think I had a needle maybe, and I was trying to get it up in there. And, but after a while, I was like, "This isn't even. It's hard yeah. to even notice anyway." So that's what I think. I think it'll be there until someone goes to repaint, and they'll be like, "Oh, what the hell is this? <laughs> how high of ceilings was it? Were they like? No, it was like it was like the, you know, yeah, normal ceilings, normal, whatever this is. So you didn't have to get like a twelve foot ladder or anything like that. You just kind of no. Get I had like through. a normal. I had like a normal ladder, I think, and got up there. But yep. yeah, it, <laughs> it's still up there. So your wife's thoughts on the BB in the ceiling? She's she's so used to Josh's antics by now. <laughs> yeah, and, beautiful. Um, we just. We have a lot of we have a we've made a lot of memories. We've had a lot of too much alcohol nights sometimes, <laughs> and uh, I have some of Sam too. I could probably share sure. <laughs> anything. Anything no, appropriate? That's the same maybe thing with Josh. Maybe off show. air. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Maybe off air. Fair enough. Uh, but no, she she's she's cool. She doesn't care. Well, uh, before we forget the off air stories, we better wrap this thing up so that we can get some of those going, guys. We appreciate it. It's uh, it's Ryder Cup week. We're all golf fans this week. We've got some big shows coming on the 73rd hole. Tomorrow, Hold their feet to the fire like I held Woody's. Oh, oh you're right. Score you don't have to do a final score, but blowout, close, Europeans, Americans. I, th- I mean, I think it's going to be close. Yeah. I, I want the Americans to win. Yep. This probably sounds bad. I don't think they will. Yeah, I, I want. Wrong, man. I want them to win. Um. It, I, I think it's going to be close, so I hope it's entertaining. Yep. Uh, so maybe I'll flip on a Sunday, late there you Sunday, go. <laughs> the, yeah. the football game. I'm with you. I like the, what did you say, 16 and a half to 11? I like that. I don't know that it'll you happen, guys think but I, I like oh, it. So, you don't, so you're saying you hope that that's going to happen. Yes. That's not what you think that's going to happen. Uh, it's just, you know, with the, the tensions running high. What, what did you guys all, you said 16 and a half to 11? Uh, 16 and a half to 12, yeah. 28 and a oh, half yeah, yeah, So sorry. I, I yeah, said yeah. Americans by four and a half. Yeah. Um, and I'll stick with it. I think they're a lot better. So I'll, I'll like have it. my final score tomorrow, but I picked the Europeans a couple weeks ago. So I just like John Rahm, and I feel like, you know, they, they have a chance this he's year. A, he's a hard man to beat right now. Yeah, he is. Although he did, you know, was it the stomach bug or something like that last week? I missed, missed the yeah. cut. Yeah, I was play. surprised he played, actually. I think it's one of those things kind of like he – you know, treating it like a major, maybe, and he normally plays the week maybe. before or something like that. But I'm not sure. So we'll we'll definitely see. But before y'all go, I want to put y'all on the spot. Who do y'all think will be the leading point getter from each team, or will be the MVP from each team? I'd have to probably see a list of our t- of the teams to be honest. <laughs> I'm gonna go John Rom and. You got Dustin options. Johnson. What about DJ? DJ Rom and DJ. Yep. Bob, what do you think? Uh, Jordan's pretty good in the Ryder Cup for us. Okay. Usually. Yeah. Even at Whistling Straits. Mm. I just I think good putters in match play is a, is a lot better, bigger advantage than – like stroke play, you can beat people by hitting it really good. 
Ooh, I'd, I I like Colin Morikawa. Yeah, actually, I do on too. Our team. But yep. you know, he's been battling the back injury too. Finished last in the Tour Championship, which obviously is the Tour Championship, but still like not playing up to what he was before. What happened with his back? It, well, I mean, no Justin one really Thomas knows, pretty, but you know, they pretty darn good. Rumors say that there's a back. Been speculation. He's been dealing with something late in the season after he won the Open, but. As far as anybody knows, he's feeling good now going into the Ryder yeah. Cup. So I think, I think, Bob, we'll, I think we'll see vintage Morikawa this week. I, I like think it. Bob cares more about his fantasy team. I text, I was texting with Alec Heinen, and he said that you're about to go 0-2. My team's horrible. 0-2? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, won, I won the league last year, too, and I might <laughs> – I, we could go over. <laughs> I was. Do you have to? Do I think I got a lot go, of. I think get last. Uh, I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> I think I got a lot of confidence last year, and when I was doing my draft, I was really risky. I, I drafted like Julio Jones, who's kind of been a no-show, and I drafted Mike Thomas, who's not going to play for a while, and <laughs> I drafted Saquon coming off an injury, yeah. and. It, yeah, it was, it was dangerous. It's a dangerous draft that I made. It hasn't worked out very good. <laughs> you play fantasy football? No, I couldn't keep up with it. Yeah. No, uh, no NFL teams in Wyoming to get attached to. No, yeah. no. Uh, mom's a Broncos fan. Brother's Forty ers fan, and my pops and myself are Green Bay fans. Okay, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Good stuff. Uh, Green Bay plays tonight. Actually. Yep, they play against Detroit. Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers. Who's better? I won't lie. When Brett Favre went to the Vikings, he uh, I was pretty bitter about it. So I'm he played go, good for the Vikings. Too. Yeah, he did. I'm gonna go Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, you're going Aaron Rodgers. Yep. I, I love Brett Favre too much to go against Brett Favre. Are we worried? Are we worried about Aaron Rodgers after his week one? No, I don't think so. It's the last dance. <clears throat> I am because I got him on my fantasy team. Three points or whatever. Yeah, but. <laughs> Yeah, all right, great stuff, fellas. We appreciate y'all taking the time. Uh, big show tomorrow. We're talking a ton of Ryder Cup. Another great guest tomorrow. Uh, we'll have another great guest on Friday. We've just got a great Ryder Cup week for you. So we'll preview all that. Stay with us tomorrow on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.